here. All right, I'm literally pressing record on the Zoom call again. Mason, you can use this or not. But, uh, oh, baby, do you know what it's worth? Ooh, heaven is on our podcast on Earth. <laughs> that sucked. Let's get... Let's get one more. Let's get one. Let's get one more fucking drop in there for just how <laughs> shitty and bad <laughs> that was. It's on the list. It's on the list. Everybody wants to get on the list. Just bring your songs and bring a movie, and we will fit you on the list. This this was tough this week, Mason. This 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 was tough. I was really. I did two other songs. I did drafts of two other songs and just threw them in the fucking trash because I just wasn't feeling mm. it. So this is what we got this week. So sorry. Okay. In advance, sorry in advance. Okay. Here we go, though. <laughs> Almost Cohog, Seth's Rhode Island. Drunken clam, Herbert's house of pain. Life is drawn here, drawn by weird old guys who watched the show when they were kids. Oh, how time it flies. Family roads, take me, guy, to the cartoon in the sky. Quagging Guy, family roads. All my Funkos gather round me. Brian, Meg, Chris, and most importantly, Stewie. Old and musty, slobber on their heads. Bubble wrap them 20 times and tuck them in the bed. Family roads, take me, guy, to the cartoon in the sky. Quag in Cleveland, mommy, mama, take me, guy, family roads. And it's Lois calling Peter Animation domination Reminds me of the past Flipping through the channels I get that feeling That I'm about to blast one Out my ass Out my ass Woo! Family roads Take me guy To the cartoon in the sky, Quag in Cleveland, Mommy, Mama, take me, guy. Family roads, family roads, take me, guy, to the cartoon in the sky. Family roads take me, guy. Those family.
<sighs> so you came to that after a, a dark night of the soul sort yeah. of situation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would try to even remember what I did before. Oh, you know what I did? You know what the, you know what it was gonna be because I was just feeling so pissed. It was gonna be "Lips of an Angel" by Hinder. No pun intended for the, <laughs> you know guess that we've got today. That was not intended to do any of that, but. Um, it was just sucked so bad. It was just so much worse than what you just heard that I just was like, I can't do that. I just can't do it to anyone. Especially especially you, my friend Mason, who has to sit there and listen to all of this. Yeah. It's I mean I'm happy I, I am happy to uh eat whatever you serve, you know? Like you, it's Thanks, it's just the, the the special chef, the chef's special. These parody songs, and I just I'm I'm curious and I'm excited every sing, single week when I get in this here Zoom window to hear what you've spent, what you've cooked up in your kitchen there, um, the Thanks, parody, dude. the parody kitchen. Yeah, we're we're shooting for a Michelin star this year. We're shooting for, for a Michelin star. It's not gonna happen because we're closing shop. <laughs> we're gonna get it right before. Things fucking shut down right before we shut this bitch down. I'm trying to remember what the first one was because I remember so distinctly Lips of an Angel sitting here, I think on New Year's Eve of all things, sitting there on New Year's Eve being like, fuck, what can I rhyme with Stewie? <laughs> just, just, just for the 50th time in a row. Um, and I don't remember. So who cares? Doesn't fucking matter. Maybe it was Remedy by Seether. God damn, I wish. It was something in that vein. I love I actually love a couple Seether songs. So You know what Seether reminds me of? And this might be a strange association, but it reminds me of the bowling alley. Just any bowling my alley. Bowling alley. No, well my the bowling alley, we had a Brunswick zone growing up. It's been renamed to something else, but they always had like uh butt rock music videos going on. Uh just like kind of playing uh during during just when you would show up and bowl. And so been, I would just yeah. look up on the TV and see just the Remedy music video, and I would be getting straight goose eggs, zero, 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 sitting. three, two, zero, zero, seven, split. Getting Sitting at a birthday party, sitting next to a girl you had a massive crush on, housing chicken strips, and then going up and just pulling, just like straight gutter balls, like straight up, just like no bones about yeah. it, like forcing them in the gutter. So bugging good. a girl that has no interest in me whatsoever to teach me how to bowl and just like getting <laughs> straight gutters. She sucks at bowling and you're secretly like really pissed because it's like lowering your career average. But you're like, you know what? I'll let her help me because I'm into this. I want her to think this is helpful and everything. Just doing some straight yeah. up pee, some Pua shit, some pickup artist shit when you're in like fifth grade or sixth yeah. grade or whatever it is. I went through a huge... Like, I'm a serious bowler phase because the local bowling alley in Beaverton called Sunset Lanes at the time. I think it's closed now, which is sad because mm. that place had a lot of good memories attached to it. But they used to give out for, like, kids that you could come in and you could bowl one free game of bowling with shoes during the summer, which was so awesome. Wow. And so yeah. my mom used to take us. We would do the free game. Then sometimes if we were feeling ourselves, 
we do the second game too and pay pony up for that second game. So there was a period in my life where if it wasn't strikes and spares, just huge breakdowns on the lane, just like fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> Let me see. Actually, I forgot. I forgot to pull up all my drops this week too. Fuck! What the fuck's going on? I'm pissed. It's that it's, New Year's. It's haze. the New Year. It's the New Year. Um, <laughs> got it. Uh, got it. Getting... Don't worry. I got it. It's up. It's the only one I'm gonna have awesome. up during the whole show. Uh, we got a lot of snow yesterday on New Year's Day. We were recording this on the second of January. We got like some like eight or nine inches. Um, in, uh, one day. So I was staying inside for the most part. I made a black bean soup for me, my roommates and the guests that we have. And then today I went outside and it was a crisp, beautiful winter morning. And I kind of had, and I was uh, walking around and I thought winter is my favorite time of year. Beautiful blanket of snow on the ground, all nice and bundled up. Can't, can't beat it. You're um, reading this from a crumpled up piece of paper you pulled out of your pocket nervously to present in front yeah. of Arizona. Winter is my favorite time of the year. I love the blanket <laughs> of snow on the ground. <laughs> Winter is actually my favorite season. Like, like end of fall, into like end of like last two months of the year, more or less. Yeah. My favorite time of the yeah. year as well. Mostly because it's your birthday. <laughs> That's why it's my Well, it's favorite. your birthday coming up this week here, buddy. That's true. By the time... By the time this episode drops, you'll have turned another year. You'll be the big uh, two five. Yes, sir. Can't believe it. Can't believe it was going to happen again. I can't believe that in all my years I made it to twenty five. Let's actually quickly let's get a happy let's get a happy birthday going real quick. Happy birthday! <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Let's <laughs> no, but let's let's really get a happy oh, birthday no. going real quick. <laughs> Doing this for myself. <laughs> Happy This is so evil. What is this? There we go. To you. Fuck that. No, no, no. Fuck that. That sucks. Not doing Wow. No, that sucks, dude. What else we got here? Let's just do this for the rest of the show. Let's fucking look at happy birthday songs. Um, Mason. Yes. Welcome to It's On The List, the show about underrated albums, movies, and a whole lot more. Happy New Year to the listeners Happy of New this Year. show. Happy lis- birthday, Noah. Thank you. Thank you. Mason, uh, I've been listening to old episodes of the show from like the begin, not the beginning of lockdown in 2020, but like end of 2020, just to sort of take a trip down okay. memory lane. Mm-hmm. We were so nice to each other back then. <laughs> <laughs> we liked each other back then. <laughs> we liked each other back then. I don't know what happened. But it's the new year. Nothing's going to change, so who, who cares? But uh, we got a great guest today, Mason. Yes. You want to go ahead and get her in here? Folks, you've heard her, not just in this the pre-intro here, but on the show. Our guest today is a writer, photographer, and host of the From My Lips to Your Ringy Ears podcast. You know her. You love her. Please welcome back to the show, Heaven Ramirez. Thank you for having me back, and I'm so excited to finally record for the first time with Noah. Yes, dude. Yeah. Here we go. Heaven, I'm so glad you're here, as I was saying to you. So everyone knows I'm a good guy. I'm going to say it. I said that in the pre-show, too. I said that to you also. I'm not just saying it because the lights are on and the cameras are pointed at me. I mean it. Um, 
But in my Nardwar-esque ability to find out information, I learned a little something about you that you and I actually have in common. Really? I learned that you live in Orange County. Is that true? That is correct. Yes, it is. <laughs> I used to live in Orange County for four years. I went to college in Orange County. Ah, uh, did you did you go to Chapman? I did go to Chapman University. Yeah. One of the okay. Yeah. Weirdest place <laughs> in the entire <laughs> world. Um, you don't have to dox yourself in terms of location, but are you near Chapman University in that regard? You it's, are near it, Chapman it's University. It's literally like a 15-minute drive down the road. Like, I go to one street and you hit it. I've taken pictures there before. Um, very beautiful campus, I will say. Very beautiful campus. Um, it is. But, uh, yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard of some interesting things. I'm, I'm assuming you went to the Dodge School. Is that what they call it over there? I did, yeah. yeah I went to the film school there. And okay. That is... The only reason I would go <laughs> to that school or even bother spending four years in the, the southern part of Orange, the southern fucking idiot fucking shows how many, shows my education to good use at Chapman University, good lord. The southern part of Orange County is beautiful. Yes. Like San Juan Capistrano, mm-hmm. San Clemente, Dana Point, like all that shit. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The northern part of Orange County, toenail <laughs> of, of southern California. Gross. <laughs> One I of the say. evilest places on the planet. In uh, a way, it is. Yeah, it is. I think um, Northern Orange County, because that's where I live. I live in North OC, so um, and I went to school at Cal State Fullerton, so not too far from okay. Chapman. And uh, sure. yeah, like I think North OC has more working class people than South OC. South OC is definitely your bougie rich. Totally. Like those are where the worst people live. I would say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 For sure. Well. There's there's some evil people in North Orange County. That's true. That's true. That's don't want to discriminate that there's not evil, (laughs) insane people in the northern part. It's a different kind of evil, insane. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, I how do you ever hit up the Frida? Is that a frequent spot of yours? I did before the pandemic. Uh, Sure. Not frequently. I saw I saw the room there. Uh, a few years ago <laughs> nice because they play it or at least before the pandemic they played it like i think on the last saturday of every month so it was kind of like a rocky yeah. horror picture show type of thing and i saw it with like a really good friend of mine and it was the best because he had never seen it before but i had seen it before but it had been years since i had seen it so i sure. completely forgot everything and it it's it's an experience because Everybody brought spoons, like plastic spoons, to throw sure. at the screen because, like, one of the running motifs is there's a whole bunch of like imagery of spoons in the film. And I swear to God, when I came home, uh, I got a text message from my friend saying, "I found a spoon in my hoodie." <laughs> and I found two in my purse. It was just like you were just picking up spoons and just throwing them. It was like by the end of the movie, it was the floor was littered with spoons. And then, of course, yeah, you have like awesome. hardcore fans just yelling dialogue at the screen like they know the film by heart. Like it was yeah. truly like one of the best experiences I've ever had watching a movie. And it was watching wow. the room at the Frida. <laughs> OK. All right. It's always it's always nice when you can leave a theater with more than you came in with. You know, <laughs> a perspective True. on living on this planet and sharing it with other people or plastic spoons. Yes, it was. It was seriously like I had so much fun that evening. I also uh, saw Pink Flamingos. They had like a showing of Pink Flamingos. Oh, yeah. That was oh, the first yeah. time I had ever seen it before. And I saw it with another friend. And oh, my God, I was just like 
they, this was like allowed to be shown on cinema. Like, I was amazed at that screening was not as fun because people were throwing their own feet. <laughs> <at the screen. laughs> people were throwing different shit. If you catch my drift on that one, yeah, I'm actually too scared to watch that movie to be like, completely transparent. Like it, that one is like I'm a little like a little. I gotta be feeling myself really hard that day if I'm willing to throw that one. It's on. it's fucked up, but there was some like because I get squeamish with that stuff too, but. But there was something so great about its fucked upness that I was just like, sure. you know what, this is an experience. And you, you know, you got to hear like at the end of the film, you heard everybody go, "Oh my god!" and like, yeah. you know, making these like gagging noises and stuff. It's, it's really when you get to see those types of films in a movie theater, like especially cult sure. classics like The Room and Pink Flamingos. That's just yeah. it. Just kind of like, man, this is must what it must have felt like to a certain extent when it first. Right was released that's a great point yeah i think i'm gonna have to wait for <laughs> wait for pink flamingos to be in theaters nervously contemplate buying the ticket <laughs> wait for it to pass <laughs> and then wait for the next time for it to be shown in theaters yeah. in order to pull trig on that one yeah um well i'm glad that i guess i'm glad you're in orange county <laughs> so that we have that that touch point but also maybe not i went down there in November oh. to the Frida multiple times. Oh, nice. Uh, because okay. they were doing the, they were doing PTA retrospective and oh. Wes Anderson retrospective. Oh, nice. Because they both had movies coming out at the end of the year. Yeah. And I went and saw Rushmore with past guest, friend of the show, Dustin Titcomb. Went to go see Punch Drunk Love. Oh, okay. With friend of the show, Rocky Parito. Nice. And we did an episode about that for my favorite podcast. Nice. And then I, I the tables turned on me Went to go see Inherent Vice with past guest and friend of the show, Jack Campisi. And now I love that one. Now that's like <laughs> mid-tier PTA for me. So anything can go. happen in three years of <laughs> doing a podcast. You cannot like Inherent Vice when you do the episode in L.A. And then in twenty twenty end of 2021, beginning of 22, you can actually love. That's the one, I, one of the ones I haven't seen of his yet. It's been on my list for like ever and ever. And I just I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. It's worth a watch. It's worth at least one one spin, okay, so to speak. Yeah, would you agree, Mason? That's one of my faves, uh, fave PTAs. Uh, it's, I love that movie so much. That movie means a lot to me. It's uh, a movie that I hold very near and dear to my heart because the first three times that I've seen it, I saw it exclusively with friend of the show, Sonny Dion Jr. in theaters in Chicago, uh, and that's just one that I love to revisit and return to. It's. Um, there's so much in that movie that I that I love, but the kind of uh, I love PTA. He's one of our our best, just fucked up relationship directors. Absolutely. Like just a guy that's really good at um, uh, finding like these interesting sort of perspectives on and different facets into exploring relationships. And um, uh, inherent vice is basically like, what if you were uh, caught up in this absurd miasma of like the passage of time and and capitalism and sort of authoritarianism uh right-wing politics permeating into uh out of the 60s and into the 70s what if you're mixed up in the middle of all of that but the only thing that was really on your mind was your (laughs) ex-girlfriend you know but it's also really 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 funny there's like this one anecdote i think i read about pta specifically that he didn't really have a good relationship with his mother at all like a really messed up relationship with her 
And I think it was, I forget which actress it was, and I don't know if it was for Magnolia or for Boogie Nights, but she kind of, uh, I think it might have been Magnolia, but she was like reading a scene from one of those films, um, which is to pr- pretty much playing like a wretched mother. And uh, I, th- I guess PTA was taken aback a little bit, and I sh- think she realized that it was personal, like it hit home for him. And uh, and hmm. she she had mentioned something like, "Did you is this about your mother? Like, is this?" And he was silent. He just didn't say anything. And she interesting. And I think she said something really poignant to him, where it's like she can't hurt you anymore, or something like that. And he just got like really just sullen after that. So, um, I, I think I probably butchered that anecdote, but it kind of but it sticks with me to a certain extent because it's just like when you yeah. see these films of his i mean he really it, 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 i think they're his diaries almost but it's like they're so masked and yeah. different types of genre and stuff that uh you don't really realize it and i haven't seen licorice pizza yet i really wanted to go see it in theaters but i mean with the new variant right now i'm just not comfortable going into a theater yeah. um which is unfortunately because i keep hearing wonderful things about this fucking film and i'm like i was so excited this is gonna be my first film since the pandemic to go into a theater and i'm like ah and it's not streaming anywhere, so I have to wait. But, um, yeah, just seeing him just really delve into these relationships, um, you know, it, it, it's like he there's more to that guy than meets the eye, and he's just so reserved and per- Absolutely. private with his personal life that you kind of just want to you just want to sit down with the man and just have like a con- like honest conversation with him. But I don't think he would ever reveal anything. <laughs> Enough of the fucking PTA talk. Enough. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is this show anyway? We've already fucking talked about fucking inherent vice in the fucking show. You guys know what the hell's going on. Um, yeah. One more thing about OC. <laughs> one more thing about the OC. Okay. You guys got multiple raising canes down there. We got a few. Which is nice. Ooh. Yeah, we got a few. That's one of one of the best. Pl- I went to the new one when I went to go see Inherent Vice, it was new to me because I moved out of there in 2019. Mm-hmm. I think it's like in, technically I think it's Tustin, I think. Technically, oh, okay. Where that new one, it's like shiny and nice and the chicken, fucking, the fucking chicken fingers there that were this big <laughs> and the one in orange, you get the fucking big one. So give me that. Uh, and in Buena Park, you guys have one of the only, if maybe the only, Portillo's in Southern California. Yes, yes, that is extremely true. I've actually eaten at that Portillo's before because my parents live in Buena Park. And uh, it's in, I don't know what the Buena Park Mall looks like anymore, but when I was living there, say, about almost a decade ago, it was the place to not be seen. That mall, like, do you do, yes. you guys watch that, that documentary Jasper Mall, right? Oh yeah, baby. Yes. That that yeah. was Buena Park Mall when I was living there. I am not oh, no. kidding. It was so dead and sad, and, <laughs> and that was just the place. Like you know, it, the only place you went to was the restaurants surrounding it. So they had like an Olive Garden there, um, Portillo's, uh, a couple other different types of big chain Damn. restaurants, and those were the only times the parking lot was ever filled was during the the lunch and dinner rushes. Sure. Well, man, I kind of get it because. Fuck Northern Rock. <laughs> <laughs> if, I have, if I have anything to say about it. And I do, and I've said it, and I'm not going to say anything more. Because, ladies and gentlemen, everybody in between, we got some things to talk about today on the show. <laughs> some dark things to talk about. This is another dark episode. This is this is some this is some Luke's... Do you have the Dakota and Fugue uh, organ? Yeah, I'll pull that up. I was going to say, this is the 
This is Luke. Uh, this is this is Noah Soundwave reversing <laughs> off against Darth Podcast on this one. Is this the one? I think this is the one I eat. Hell yeah! All right, we got that loaded up. You love to see how the sausage is made on the podcasts, everyone. Yeah. Yep. All right, we got two. We got an album and a movie to talk about here today. Both brought to us by Heaven Ramirez. Heaven, what is the album we're going to be discussing today? Today it's going to be Emma Ruth Brundle's On Dark Horses. Snap, snap, snap. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Heaven, we asked you to come on this show. We be- we said, fucking get on here. That's <laughs> what we said. We said, fucking get on here. Um, and we said you could t- bring on anything more or less that you wanted to, as long as it sort of fits the, fits the bill. Mm-hmm. What's your history with this album, and why'd you pick it? Okay, so I actually first listened to this album, because this album was originally released back in 2018, but I actually right. listened to it for the very first time last year, and I had, uh, sh- Emma Ruth Rundle had done this, like, collaboration project with this, like, uh, sludge metal group called Thou, and I had fallen in love with mm. it, and I'm like, I need more Emma Ruth Rundle in my life, and sure. uh, I was like, uh, I saw on dark horses was like one of the ones I hadn't listened to yet. I'm like, okay, well let's give this a spin. And during this time period, um, it was in the month of November and I I was like going through a really bad depressive episode. So this was kind of like chicken soup for the soul type of album for me. And I just, for the whole month of November, this was the only album I pretty much listened to. I didn't listen to anything else. And uh, it's just been a big part now. I mean, it's been a year now since I first discovered it, but it's just been a big part of like a piece of my heart kind of thing. So it's like a really nice. personal album for me uh, when I listen to it. And uh, I also feel like it's underrated. Uh, I don't really hear people talk about it too much or acknowledge it and I feel like this is an album that I think more people need to listen to uh, because it's just so Mm. beautifully composed and her voice is just um, there's just something about her voice that I can't describe but it's just uh, it's just haunting and beautiful and I just like it's it's short sweet and to the point too it's I don't know. There's just so many things I love about this album. And I thought like, well, you know, I, I kind of know your guys' taste a little bit from, you know, listening to the episodes. I'm like, this may or may not cater to them, sure. but it might be more along the lines of at least you won't hate listening to this. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I might uh, be wrong, okay. though. I might be wrong, though. So. <laughs> a couple of things. A couple of things on that. One. Nicest thing anyone's ever said about the podcast <laughs> is maybe they won't hate this. <laughs> Nicest thing anyone's ever said. Um, and two, yeah, that's the show. <laughs> Bringing on things that don't get enough love. You nailed it. You literally, you literally understood the assignment on that one, Evan. Congrats. Thank you. Um, yeah, of course. Um, Mason, I'll just go first with my history with, with this because it's short and sweet. And maybe... Yours will also be short and sweet, but here's something to let you know about. I never heard of Emma Ruth Rundle or this fucking album before we brought it onto the show. Wow, I did do a good new job. Shit to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is brand new shit to me. What about you? I had heard at least Dark Horses, um, probably on Heaven's recommendation. I feel so. I'd been on Heaven's show a couple times in the last year. We talked about Mad Men. We talked about um, David Lynch. I was a 
the guest for her David Lynch series. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And I can't remember if it was in a conversation that we were having around the record or not, where you where Heaven mentioned Emma Ruth Rundle, or maybe it was on the episode that we that her prior episode that she. I uh, think was it was on. the yeah um, the one I did with just you, Mason. I think it was on that one. I was yeah. in between Team Sleep and that one album, and I was I kind of kept that in the back of my head. Like if I come back on here again, mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna bring that one on. Oh hell yeah! Hey. And perfect. <laughs> perfect. How about this? Uh, so I, you had met, so there's a couple other artists that you had mentioned on that episode that I checked out. I checked out Emma Ruth Rundle. I checked out the band Helium. Um, and I listened to Dark Horses. I can't remember if I heard the full album or just the track Dark Horses because when I went back to listen to the album on Spotify for this episode, I saw I gave Dark Horses a little heart. Aww. And I was like, how about this? A nice little present. <laughs> nice. I get to return to this. Essentially, the heart on Spotify the first time. Is, the, is the present you give yourself in the future when you yeah. have to cover this album on the show. Good for exactly, you. exactly. And um, but this was more or less. I'm going to consider it still like a new to me, just because I can't recall if I heard the full thing or not. Um, but Noah, do you mind if I if I start a little bit here? Not at all. Hey, Mason, not at all. Go for it, my man. I love this album. Yay! I love this album. That's you as Tim Heidecker on Autonomous Cinema. So we'll give it mm-hmm. we'll give it the Takata and Fugue D minor. We'll give it not the not the McDonald. You know, we'll just stay with that drop for now. Okay, we'll just yeah. stay with that drop. For now. We'll get some other ones going here in a sec. But but you love this album. I love this album. I love how uh, dark and um, kind of interior it is. It's really perfect. It's so appropriate that Heaven was listening to this a lot in November. I feel like November is a huge – this is a, a kind of a perfect November album because it's just so um, – it's uh, it, it's November. That's when my birthday is, but it's one of the darkest months, I think. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard to find people who don't have, like, a reason to celebrate November getting really excited about November. Uh, but I love that month. That's Not my just favorite I get, month, too. I get to, my birthday's in November, too. Hey. Oh, shit. So you know. We got yeah. a couple Scorpio, Scorpio – freaks in the I'm, fucking I'm actually, house I'm actually one. Sagittarius. We got one Scorpio <laughs> freak and one Sagittarius <laughs> in the house. Let's go. My sister's birthday is in November. It's two days before Mason's birthday. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, and, um, and as we know, She's pretty. She's fine. She's my sister. I love her. I was gonna say she's crazy. She's crazy, but she's fine. <laughs> I love her. Um, but this is so like uh dark and like and and introspective and uh at least to me it's kind of about like uh tr- managing control and and chaos. Um, and it just sounds so fucking cool too. Like I just love how like deep and and dark and um pulsating this album is um and that's just my initial thoughts here noah where are you at with this album hold on i found a new drop i wanted to play real quick so <laughs> okay <laughs> just a cartoon stretch sound effect that's all it is <laughs> wanted i wanted it to snap is it gonna snap i'm just gonna play that throughout the episode um I don't love this album, <laughs> but I don't hate this album. Yay! I did. Ooh. I did a good job. <laughs> she did it. You did it. You literally did exactly what she said you were going to do on this one. Um, I don't love it, 
but I don't hate. I'm like very mid on this album, all things considered. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those where I popped it on the first time. I listened to this album twice. I tell the truth on this on this show. I'm like Mason, who doesn't tell the truth about listening to the album more than once. <laughs> um, I actually did. Haven't pulled that bit out in a while, but I figured, hey, it's the new year. Let's fucking get that one going. Yeah. Mason, new year <laughs> old bits. You can't teach a new year old bits. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good thing to pull out about Mason being untrustworthy and a liar. That's a pretty good bit to pull out for a podcast. Yeah. Um, I was pull- I was listening to it the first time, and I just kept... And I don't know if these comparisons, these comps are worthy or if they're fair, but it just... It felt like a darker version of, like, Florence and the Machine and, like... Phoebe Bridgers, although Phoebe Bridgers is already a little bit on the darker side. I don't know if those comps are fair or good, but that's just what I kept. That's just what I kept going toward. Uh, I guess we'll get that. I mean, those are certainly women that have written albums of music. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hold on. That's true. No, you're no, you're not. Heaven really like that one. You're not wrong on that one. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> Sorry, that tickled me. <laughs> yeah, it tickled it tickled me, but in not not the same. Maybe want to fly to Chicago and punch him in the head. Um, I don't know. It's it's just one of those where it's just like nothing, not nothing. Most didn't really like strike a chord with me one way or the other. I was like. It's just this. It is what it is. I like don't have a lot to say about this album in the sense of like, I listened to it for the show. It was fine. I listened to it again this morning. It was fine. I don't have any major thoughts, major takeaways, major revelations listening to this other than like, it's dark, and there's a, there's like one or two songs on here that I'm like, oh yeah, I really like that one. That one really strikes a chord, and that's probably probably Control and Dark Horse are probably the two for me that really like mm-hmm. stand out as like. Yes, yes, specifically Dark Horse. I think that's the like standout track on the album. Maybe why she even called it on Dark Horse. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with this. Doesn't matter. Heaven, heaven. <laughs> what do you like about this album? Why, 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 why does this hit for you so hard? Well, I think like because she's like heavily. I would say this album more along the lines. I don't know if you two are familiar with PJ Harvey at all. Um, if that rings. I'm yeah. not that familiar. I actually have never heard a PJ Harvey song to my recollection. So no. Uh, I'm oh, not okay. Familiar, Mason, yeah, how about you? I um, I went through a, a, a bit of a PJ Harvey phase early when I was living in LA. Okay. Um, yeah, I really, really, I haven't listened to her in a long time though. Uh, yeah, Down by the Water. What was it? Stories from the City oh, is the one that I listened yeah, to. Yeah, that's lot. one of her, uh, yeah. like more beloved albums for sure. One of my favorites for sure. Um, but yeah, she's uh, it, it, like her sound does remind because she's heavily influenced by PJ Harvey. So uh, this album uh, really reminded me. I think if there was more of a, com- a better comparison to other female musicians, PJ Harvey would be this comparison. Um, it's definitely got that same kind of dark energy to it. Um, which is a sound that I've like grown to love. PJ Harvey is one of my favorite musicians of all time. Like I will, sure. I will take a b- bullet for that mm-hmm. woman. That's how much I love her. And um, let's put that to the test because we have a right <laughs> <to> come, <right? laughs> come on out here. Come on out here. <laughs> come on, come on. No. Right. Um, 
but uh, you know, I think a lot of, I mean, as as you two had mentioned, this is a very very dark album, and uh, surprisingly, this isn't as dark as our previous album, Marked for Death, which is just. <laughs> I know the title. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I can't, okay, yeah, I guess it's not as dark, dark as Marked for Death. And she just released yeah. a new album called End of, of Hell, which is also pretty dark. So she is just Damn. a very gothy, artsy, fartsy type of girl. Um, pretty much all up, all all my types of shit kind of going on there. And uh, sure. so this album deals a lot with like depression. Uh, she has history of addiction, so it's kind of mm-hmm. you know kind of going to that as well as like issues with anxiety. And I think Mason, you had mentioned it's like trying to find control in a midst of chaos. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. right around this time when I was listening to this album, that's kind of what I was dealing with with myself was trying to find control sure. in a midst of chaos. So a lot of the lyrical content really hit home for me and it made me like super emotional. And I, and I will say I have cried to this album more times than I can count. <laughs> Love that. So it's like I said, this is a very, very personal album for me. So this is I think I just listened to it at the perfect time for this to yeah. really, you know, there's there's very few albums where it's just like it just comes into your life at the most perfect moment when you need it the most. And this this yeah. was the album that I needed the most during that time period to get me through that time period. I love that when that happens, mm-hmm. when it's just like something finds you mm-hmm. at the right time. You know, you happen to fa- come across something and you're just like, God damn, this is it's, it's almost like this fell into the sky right into my fucking lap. You it's know? the universe actually, yeah, saying hello. That is actually <laughs> how yeah. I felt when I watched Magnolia. What I watched that movie for the first time when I was, like, a freshman in high school because I was like, oh, God, like, all this cool shit's happening Mm -hmm. in this movie. Like, let's check this shit out. Um, But I didn't give a fuck about it. I didn't care. And I was just like, whoa, this is three hours long. Like, who gives a fuck when you're 14 or whatever? Mm -hmm. But then re-watching the movie, what I would consider to be my first true watch of that movie, I was probably, like, 21, I want to say. I think it was this winter break between my, my, like, in my junior year of college. And I was just like, Wow. This is like exactly what I needed, like right in this moment. Uh, but it happened. I mean, it happens, you know, every now and then. But it is like one of the best feelings in the whole world. And you're like, can't believe that that coincides with what I need in my life. Mm-hmm. So shout out to Absolutely. Emma Ruth Rundle for finding <laughs> Heaven Ramirez when she needed her the most. She, Love that. she was my my little uh, depressing cheerleader, essentially. Just kind of like, yes, I know bro. life sucks, but it's. You'll get through it. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. Well, that's one thing that I just loved about this album is how it just kind of drops you right into her feeling and her just like kind of emotive stew. Like, uh, like in fe- like Fever Dream just like starts like by putting you into that that's song true. and that yeah. atmosphere. Um, and I think most of the album, like just taking it as like one chunk of just like a work is sort of about that process of fighting out of that darkness and and those feelings because it the album i love the album and it ends with like three first time i listened to this all the way through i was not super keen on fever dreams and control and then by the time i got to dark horse i was just way in on the rest of the album and everything got a heart and now on second listen everything got a heart ah (laughs) but anyways you go into Light Song and then Apathy and the Indiana Border oh, yeah. and You Don't Have to Cry, which I th- You Don't Have to Cry, I think, is my favorite song. And I just love this. I just love that the album kind of leaves you on like a slow dance where you just feel like so protected and and secure after this 
this sort of like um, this battle almost um, that she's uh, or these battles rather that she's she's writing about here. I think it's just really, really beautiful um, song writing and like kind of symphonic in a way too. Um, where like I was listening to this earlier and going on a walk and I just like felt completely like encased by this this music on this walk, which I really, I really, really like. I like that. I like this album. <laughs> Mason, can I ask Heaven a question real quick? Mm-hmm. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I don't need to get your permission to do that, but I felt <laughs> like I wanted to. This is one of the hosts of the show. Why the fuck did I ask you if I could ask the guy? <laughs> stupid, stupid town over here for me. Um, Heaven, are you a gamer at all? Do you at all play video games in any capacity? Yeah. No? no. Well, okay. <laughs> that, that everything just falls apart. All to say, one of my favorite video games of all time is a sort of not a choose your own adventure, but it's one of those like story based games where all your decisions sort of have like butterfly effect, like greater impact on like the overall thing. Yeah. It's called Life is Strange. Okay. Probably talked about it on this show before. I definitely have talked about it on. Was that uh, on your top? That was that something that you played in 2020, and that was like your in the end of the year that we did last year. Yeah, but I, it didn't come out in 2020. It came out in like 2015, so I don't know if. I oh, okay. No, but I just mean you played it for the first time in 2020, and uh, that's all I mean is that you played it for the first yes. time in 2020. Yes. Yeah. I played it during the pandemic, or not was said differently. I, I hate I hate when people say during the pandemic as if we're not in the worst possible <laughs> fucking moment, but it's like exactly what my mind goes to because I've been fucking vaxxed for coming up a, on a year here in a couple months, right. but, you know. Uh, during the pre-vax days, I should okay. say, uh, I was playing uh, this game, and it is very YA in its like feeling, but to such a strong degree that it almost feels like what an American anime would be. Like it just has like that like feeling pushing forward, and there are some mo- times where you can like play music, like if you're in your like dorm room or in like a friend's dorm room or something like that. And, like, literally when I was starting to listen to this album, I was like, holy fuck, I wonder if ever Ruth Rundle played Life is Strange, because there are some times where some of the music, like, especially in the earlier part of the album, and, like, I think the last track especially, I'm like, this could have been in Life is Strange. Like, it has that, like, quality to it of just, like, like everything's going to be okay. Like, everything's going to be all right. That, like, sort of, like, comfort feeling, you know, that that game brings me in the overall arcing story, but, like, even in those moments where music's played, I was like, damn, I wonder if Emma Ruth Rundle's a fucking gamer, bro. She, I wonder if she played this game. That is a very interesting observation, Noah. She's actually a huge anime fan. Let's go! Okay! <laughs> yeah, I Let's was gonna ask, go. Noah, did you read her personal life section on her Wikipedia? I did, and it said that she was a huge fan of anime. <laughs> and then there's I, three... Yeah, yeah no, there's three... There's three bullet points in her personal life. They're just like all one or two sentences. They're like just one line. It's not like paragraphs or anything. Line one, Runzel struggled with drug addiction from the age of 12. And that's, I I didn't realize she was quite that young, but I kind of, you can intuit from this album here on Dark Horses that she struggles with addiction Mm -hmm. in any case. Uh, The second line, she was married to JJL co-founder Evan Patterson. They lived in Louisville, Kentucky. Their divorce was finalized in August, 2021. And the third line, uh, six words here. She is a fan of anime. <laughs> it's crazy that that's even on it. That feels like something she wrote on her own Wikipedia. Is what it. Feels do you know like. what the citation for that is? I actually, I think I do. Is it the? Uh, is it the? What's in my bag? Yep. 
Yep, it's her what's in my bag. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have that for the fast facts. I can read that. I have the list in front of me of what's in her what's in her bag, but I want to save that for the fast facts. Oh, I can't wait. Can't yeah, wait. that was it, it was actually funny because she she sent out a tweet because I guess people were referencing like if people interviewing her were referencing these items in her Wikipedia page and it stated that she was a fan of also of David Lynch and Kate Bush and she's like can someone take that off the Wikipedia page because it's always so awkward when interviewers bring that up and I have to tell them that's wrong <laughs> wait that's wait about Kate Bush too because actually when you started talking about her like and like you were talking about her specifically having I was like I bet she loves Kate I thought she like, would that, it has to be I, I for a long time it, I thought it made sense that she would love Kate Bush but I guess she's not maybe not as heavily influenced as say like other things and, and other types of music but yeah that's so interesting yeah I know from the very little Kate Bush I've heard which is I think what is it, Hounds of Love that's the famous yes. one mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. It's got that energy it does. to it. I, that is probably what I should have said for comps as opposed to Florence. And the <laughs> but like, it's crazy that she like doesn't want to talk about. That's that. like that reminds me how like Vincent Gallo is like, don't ask me about John Cassavetes. <laughs> it's like, dude, yeah. you love John Cassavetes, you stupid piece of shit. <laughs> like, you are such a fucking asshole. You made one of the greatest movies of all time, and you're such a piece of shit, and you love John Cassavetes. Just admit it. Um, what else? What else do we like about this album, folks? Anything? Anything that hasn't been said yet? Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's if, if we've covered it, we've covered. It. I'm not trying to you know, <laughs> elongate for the sake of elongating, but I just want to make sure everyone gets their gets their voices heard on this one. Yeah, no, I I just I I think of anything for me, this album's just more of. Um, I, I put it in like one of those like this was a certain time in my life kind of way like this right. is like a timeline album like here this is where I was back in November 2020 which wasn't in the best place in sure. the world and um, you know even though it was like a really bad depressive episode I had had there's some kind of weird fondness I also have with this time period um, I think just because knowing that I came out the other end and I, I don't know. It's like sometimes you do, do you ever do you guys ever have like that, you know, those certain times when it's like the worst time of your life. But there's some kind of nostalgia you also kind of feel towards it. I'm tr- I, I can't really explain. Yeah, it. Me, me in 2019 when I didn't realize I was about to leave Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't realize that was going to be my last year in that city. Yeah. Interesting how that <laughs> coincides with meeting me for the first time in your entire life. <laughs> Um, that was a highlight, though. I'm glad that that happened. Yeah, same, same. Because doing this for two and a half fucking years, hey, uh, yeah, <laughs> because of it. Um, no, there is like a thing where it's like, wow, I'm I'm feeling better now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm feeling yeah. better. It's like sometimes it's hard to appreciate life or anything about it when you're in the middle of it yeah. and in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. You can appreciate it. You can look at it for what it was or what you were. Or, how things have changed. And that is a nice feeling. So I do, I totally get what you're okay. saying. Okay. All right. Yeah. Th- I think that's pretty well put of what I was trying to say. Yeah. Swag. Mason, any final thoughts? Any final swaggy thoughts? Any final swaggy thoughts? Uh, no, I guess just to echo what Heaven said, that's like kind of my last thought on it is that this is a, a album that's about, you know, addiction and, and depression and, and really heavy anxiety and really heavy feelings. And you do feel that when you're listening to it. Um, it's a very, I guess, an album that helps you just like sort of organize your insights in a certain way. But there's like beauty in this too. And kind of beauty that's waiting on the other, like uh, um, 
like Kevin was saying, like at the end of, of going through all of that and being in that depression, being in those states of mind does fucking suck. Um, but being on the other side, um, because of that feels so fucking good. Um, I really, I really adore this album. I really like it. That's my last kind of word on it. Uh, okay. Got a couple of fast facts here. Just a couple. Emma Ruth Rendell, born October 10th, 1983, was an American singer, songwriter, guitarist, and visual artist. Based in Portland, Oregon, is what it says on Wikipedia, at least. Let's get some snaps in the chat. That's where I'm from. Uh, formerly of the Nocturnes and Marriages, she has also released five solo albums and is a member of Red Sparrows. After a, after a massive earthquake in her hometown, her mother took her into the legendary folk music store, McCabe's, and told her she could pick one instrument to rent for lessons. She initially chose the Celtic harp before switching to guitar and later went on to work at McCabe's for 13 years. That's crazy that she went for Celtic harp. <laughs> not a, everyone, not yeah. a, most people in the world to- can't say to- they total went Total goth girl harp. vibes right there. Just <laughs> Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't I don't think that this ever happened, but I'm just imagining her returning the Celtic harp and then the next person that buys it is like Joanna Newsome, like that moment <laughs> yeah. in the biopic or something <laughs> where they just really try to stretch the truth and connect it there. And if it's like a Dewey, if it's like a walk hard thing, it's like, what's your name yes, again? Yes. Joanna. Joanna Newsome and then she breaks the harp over her knee or something like Joanna, that. Joanna, what is it? Old some here? I can't quite make it out. <laughs> Uh, on Dark Horses is the fourth studio album released by Emma Ruth Rundle. It was released on September 14th, 2018 through Sargent House. Recording sessions took place in March of that year at La La Land in Louisville, Kentucky. Production was handled by Kevin Ratterman. Shout out Kevin Ratterman. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't care. I don't care. about. I don't, I don't care about Kevin Ratterman, but he's probably fine. Uh, All Music's James Christopher Monger called the album a, quote, far more collaborative affair and while it still looks inward it does so with the kind of steely warmth that can come from somebody who's seen the light at the end of the tunnel as clearly as they've seen the oncoming train thought that was a nice way of putting it kind of ties a nice little bow on a lot of the stuff that we were saying yeah uh a music critic from the wire wrote rundle explores shadowy dreams and gothic fantasies through a series of precariously balanced electrified compositions that hover around her light as a feather one minute Heavy as lead, the next on Dark Horses rides headlong into the singer's psyche as she pulls us into the darkest corners of her imagination and breathes out fevered secrets. That's just a beautiful, mm. beautiful sentence. like piece of writing. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it reminds me of you guys. I don't know, Heaven. Do you are you a fan of Nathan for you at all? Were you ever a fan of that show? Oh, you know what? I've been wanting. I, I remember watching the first episode, but my brother and I were eating dinner at the time, which was not a good idea to watch for that first episode when they were like, sure, what was yes. it something with like poop flavored? Oh yeah, they were going to do poop flavored frozen. Yogurt. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah, and we were like, we can't watch this. But it's always been a show that's again been on the list um but i oh. I, I haven't gotten around uh, to listening or watching it yet mason were you ever a nathan for you guy i love nathan for you i love <laughs> nathan for you yeah i do too and i've been re-watching select episodes here and there because i'm realizing it's like one of my favorite sh- i mean i knew it before but i hadn't watched it in such a long mm-hmm. time and i'm like damn this is like one of the best shows like ever this is so fucking fun i like laugh out yeah. loud watching this show but I remember, <laughs> I remember when they're making the fake newspaper uh, to have the name change announced for the Michael Richards tip. They hire that yep. ghost writer 
and, and then he asks the ghostwriter to to like make a beautiful sentence like on the spot. Do you remember them asking him to make the beautiful Wait, sentence? Wait, I remember the Yeah, I remember this bit. What's what's the sentence that that guy comes up with though? It's so evil and like terrible. And I don't remember what it is, but it's like she went into the darkness and f- fucked around or something <laughs> like that. It's like the equivalent of that and Nathan's just like Okay, you're hired. Like just like very straight. Yeah. He's like, well, didn't you like it. literally find him on Craigslist or something? Yeah, he was a Craigslist ghostwriter. Oh. He's so good. He comes back for yeah. the, uh, or no, he first appears in the movement episode, which is the fitness That's craze right. around the moving boxes and shit to help that company. Then he comes back for the Diarrhea Times, which is the name of the fake <laughs> newspaper. God, that shows the best. Um, Diarrhea Times is the initial was the uh, first name of our podcast. Yeah, Carter was like, "I like that," and then didn't say anything else. He just said, "I like that," and then never followed up. Uh, Emma Ruth Rundle did an episode of What's in My Bag, which was it's actually one of the like I love that. Me too. Series lo- they did for Amoeba Music. That's like a great way to get like new music into your into your into your, into your whole collection is to just watch that and see what other artists are listening get new music into your hole yeah new, new music into your ear hole um yeah <laughs> we've got we've referenced him before because that's how i first heard about the band destroyer and dan behar when we talked about uh kaput mm-hmm. with sonny Dion jr the most recent time because jason manzoukas loves uh that uh, guy. The, his episode was crazy like it, it was crazy <laughs> i was am- i'm like what the hell do you listen to oh my god i know he's He's wild as fuck. He has that like Ethiopian cassette or something yeah. like that. Like that like field recording cassette. It's like, bro, what the fuck are you doing <laughs> over there? That's nuts. But I have her list in front of me. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this stuff, I don't really know what it is, to be totally honest with you. But some of the stuff I do. Uh, in chronological order from what she pulls out of her bag, the 2018 Suspiria soundtrack by Tom York. I would. Yo. I wasn't a big fan of. Well, I guess because I, lo- I love the Goblin. The Goblin original, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can't really beat that. So Tom York was had some stiff competition with that, but you know, it makes sense with her sound why she'd gravitate towards that for sure. The next thing she has is "Our, Our Raw Heart" by Yob or Yob. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yob. Now, when you guys, have, I'm not familiar with that. I, you guys know anything about I've that? I've heard of Yob, but I'm not familiar with her music. Same. Uh, Wrecking Ball. By Emmy Lou Harris. Emmy Lou Harris, one oh, of the goats. Shout out to Emmy Lou Harris. Oh, my Harris. God. So that album oh, is man. incredible. Emmy Lou Harris. We love her. Yeah. Uh, Kanoyo by Tim Hecker. Nah, don't know. Oh, I know I don't. I know a Tim Hecker album. I don't think it's that one. Kenji Kawai, the Ghost in the Shell soundtrack. Familiar with Ghost in the Shell. Interesting. <laughs> uh, the Smashing Pumpkin, Siamese Dream. Great album. Yeah. Amazing album. Yes. She thinks she calls that in the video like one of her favorite albums of all time, which cool. Love that for love that for Emma Ruth Rundle. SRSQ Sirskew Unreality. Not familiar myself. Uh, they sh- that one was because I actually had to do some research because I remember watching this specific episode. So that was a band. Do you guys remember that huge news story of that San Francisco warehouse that went on fire and killed a whole bunch of people back in like 2012? Yes. So yeah, the ghost ghost yes, ship or something ghost like ship, that. Thank right? you. Yeah. So she and she had she was in a previous band. I forgot what the hell they're called. Um, them or us too. Okay. So she was in a band called Them or Us Too, 
and her her uh it's a two-person band and what ended up happening was her second half her other half was in that fire and died oh shit yeah oh my yeah. god so it was um yeah so that that's her evolution from that project but how does that relate to the Siskiyou? That, that's that's C-R-S-Q. that's her. Yeah. So she was. That was her oh, that, previous band. That, oh, yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. So that's gotcha, that's gotcha. how I know of them. But I haven't I haven't listened to SRSQ. I've heard a little bit of her other band, but not not that one. Uh, this next one, I'm gonna I, I just I'm gonna butcher the names, but the Gamalian Gamalian of the Walking Warriors, Gamalian Bella Ganger, and the music of the Nabin Funerary. Ritual in Bali. You got me beat on that one. No fucking idea. We're just going to go for a... Absolutely no. no, I had no idea. (laughs) And then this next one, I was actually really happy to see. This album fucking rules. Uh, Ted Lucas, self-titled. You guys know Ted Lucas? Self-titled? That's a great album. Oh, he's like a folk musician, right? Yeah, and he only released that one album. That was the only album he ever released. It's really good. And he does some like kind of weird stuff with his voice, if I'm remembering correctly. It's like outsidery almost. Oh. It's like outsider arty a little bit. It's very yeah. good. Uh, but that's all I got in terms of uh, in terms of fast facts here. If you haven't watched those uh, Amoeba What's in My Bag videos, they're great. Mm-hmm. And if you're in L.A., Amoeba did reopen. They have they, a new location, right? Yeah, it's Ooh. on Hollywood and Argyle now instead Sunset. of Hollywood and Coenga. Or no, Sunset yeah. and Coenga. Yeah. It's on Hollywood and Argyle. I went there with my buddy. Uh, it's definitely not the original location, but it's better than not having it at all. Yes. Which is what I thought was going to happen. That's what, yeah, when they said, like, oh, Amoeba is closing, I'm like, what the hell? That's been a staple of L.A. for, like, such a long time. Why are they getting rid of, like, a piece of history? And then, like, oh, no, we're just moving locations. And I'm like, well, you could have said that first. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's the the loser dies his hair pink from Drake and Josh on that one. If if that pulls back the recesses of your mind at all. Um, Mason... Mm-hmm. I know what the Mercedes Valuable Player is. Heaven knows what mm-hmm. it is. You know mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to explain it. Okay. I'm going to explain it for the <laughs> listeners out there. Yeah, be my guest. Can you look at my face, Mason? <laughs> <laughs> take, a, take a photo of the face that I'm making real quick. Mason? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Did you take the photo? <laughs> I'm taking it now. Yep. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Mercedes Valuable Player. Something about the album or movie that we think is the standout. Could be a who, could be a what, could be a which, could be a when. It is unencumbered by time and space. It is named after Mercedes Ruel from the 1988 Jonathan Demi film Married to the Mob. She was the inaugural recipient of the Mercedes Valuable Player for that film. Heaven, who, what, or which, or when is your Mercedes Valuable Player for On Dark Horses by Emma Ruth Rundle. Ooh, that's that's still a difficult one. I'm like in between a couple. I if you had to, if I just had to blurt one out right now, I think the light song for me. That's like the song that I still put on repeat quite a bit. There's just something. I think because this was before she got divorced with her husband Jay or um not Jay Chell, uh Evan Patterson. So Evan Patterson is actually he does some of the guitar work on this album. He's like a part of her backing band for this specific album. And so the light song, I mean lyrically it kind of reminds you of a wedding or like someone getting prepared for a wedding and you have him and you can hear him in mm-hmm. like the background with like a really deep timber timbery voice. 
and it just pairs so beautifully with her voice and then somehow they just managed to like play guitar so like it's just so chemistry based um that is just such like a almost like a sensual song for me um because you could tell that these two people are in love with one another during this time frame when this album was made um, and the, it, it was one of the very lighter, excuse the pun, but one of the lighter moments of the album for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think it, it just really, I think it kind of anchors, anchors the album a little bit that like, there's still some like brightness and lightness in life, despite the dark content of the album. I got to give the McDonald's flute for the pun just there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mason. What do you got for Mercedes Valuable Player? Uh, I'm going to give it to Emma Ruth Rundle herself. Uh, like you Damn. said in the Fast Facts, Noah, she's kind of the guiding creative voice here. And if you look at the personnel section on this album's Wikipedia page, she is credited with the lyrics, the vocals, guitars, flute, percussion, artwork, and photography. Um, she, I, uh, yeah, so I think that she's tremendous and I really, um, appreciate her, the work that, that went into this. Um, and it made me really excited to check out some of her other, other stuff. Uh, I haven't heard that Thou album. Um, curious to check that out cause I'm familiar with Thou and I like them quite a bit. Uh, but this is a really, um, she's, uh, an incredible, I think, artistic and, and musical voice that I'm, uh, interested in, and curious to dive deeper into noe what's your mercedes valuable player uh i'm gonna give it to the song dark horse it's the most played song it's probably the most well-known song but it is definitely the song that i even just connected with the most i was not quite as hot as you guys are on this album overall but i didn't dislike it by any stretch of the imagination I think Mason mm-hmm. paints a picture on this show that I'm just a hater. <laughs> I just hate everything that comes on this show. So in 2022, we're breaking that mold. Mason? Yeah. Well, that's too bad because Noah, Noah, I love haters. <laughs> I love haters. All right, you haters the- make me famous. <laughs> <laughs> that's me that's me pulling my waistband out to take take a glock out and point it at the screen <laughs> shoot my computer screen shoot this zoom <laughs> my waistband going <laughs> but i'll give it to dark horse it's my favorite song on the album i'm gonna give this a conditional recommend albeit a strong conditional recommend mason what about you i so i like this album a lot I enjoyed listening to it. I can't wait to re-listen to it. Um, But this is also one that I think will get a conditional recommend for me as well. Very high conditional recommend. Just because I know that, like, stuff that's, like, this actively dark and kind of deep isn't everyone's cup of tea. But if this is generally in your ballpark, I think you're really going to enjoy this album here. Um, So, very strong conditional recommendation. Um, but it definitely is something that has a specific audience, and if it's if you're in that audience, I hope you like it too. What about heaven? You? Yeah, heaven. What do you give? What do you give this bad boy? You gonna <laughs> recommend this bad boy? I, even though I love this album as much as I do, I think I'm gonna have to agree with both of you saying that this is definitely a conditional recommend. I would not start off with this album at all. Um, she does some other instrumental guitar work that might be that's a little less dark, a little bit more ambient. That might be a good starter but yeah this is definitely not going to be in everyone's wheelhouse if you're not into the dark moody stuff um you're not going to enjoy this at all and with that where is it 
Uh-oh. Hold on. And with that, <laughs> let's move forward, ladies and gentlemen. Woo. Let's get into that let's movie. Let's do it. We've got a whole movie to talk about. Uh, Heaven, what movie did you bring to the table? So I decided to get a little artsy and a little French, and I brought in Girlhood, directed by Celine Siama. Let's go. Let's get some snaps, get some claps, <laughs> get some shit going around. Uh, what's your history with Celine Siama, this film, and why did you pick it to come on the show? All right. So I actually, I had no idea. I had seen a, a Celine Siama film back in college when Netflix was first streaming films, and I just went hog wild and just started like watching anything that was foreign and indie. And the first Celine Siama film I had ever seen was Water Lilies. And I remember really enjoying that. Um, although it's been so many years since I've seen it, I don't remember it. But it does star um, Adele. Oh, God, what's her last name? Adele Hanel yes. from yeah. Portrait of a Lady yeah, on Fire? It, it, yeah, oh, yeah. It, star- it starred her. Because I, I remember when I saw Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I'm like, God, she looks so familiar. I must have seen her in something else. And then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, she's been working with Celine Siama for quite some time and also dating her. And uh, so that was like my first introduction to Celine Siama. Uh, I actually just for the very first time watched this film uh, last month. Uh, it, yeah. So Criterion Collection had this, you know how, um, they do these, uh, like, uh, they, they compile a whole bunch of different films and put it under like, uh, a a different type of theme. Yeah. yeah. So Mm. this one was under, uh, just between us girls and it's supposed to show the, (laughs) (laughs) is that what they're calling the, the collection? Yeah. And then they just came out cause, um, when I was doing this at the time, um, I was trying to watch a whole bunch of movies by female directors because uh, for my own podcast, I wanted to do an episode on the feminine gaze. So sure. I was like, okay, this is a good, you know, this is a good way to get into that. And Girlhood was on, on this list. And I'm like, oh, well, it's by Celine Siama. I love Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, let's, let's check out more of her work. And uh, I was just... Uh, floored with just how beautifully done this film was and you know I got emotional at certain points and I was just like why didn't this gain any traction when this was first released back in 2014 and then I remembered another film back in 2014 that was released with a very similar name called Boyhood um, which ended up getting like a whole bunch of critical acclaim it was nominated for multiple oscars stolen for best picture if i do say so myself um but i i mean i love boyhood i'm, I'm, I'm not gonna shit on it because that's a that's a film i i went to the theaters four fucking times to watch that movie wow. uh, and that's a three-hour film <laughs> i spent Damn, 12 yeah. hours in a theater <laughs> you spent 12 hours with mason which is also uh, <laughs> noah's idea of hell yeah, i would put a fucking bullet up my nose if i had to spend 12 hours with mason. um not only did you, so you spent 12 hours watching Boyhood, that's shrunken down, scaled down to the 12 years that Richard Linklater spent <laughs> I making know, the damn I thing. know, I know. It was good for wow, you. Just yeah. that, yeah, absolutely amazing. But uh, I, I, I realized, you know, like, I mean, obviously, I think Hollywood was going to play favorites with what was going to get more traction. And I think uh, advertising this film in the States, at the very least, I think they were trying to get onto that train of the whole Boyhood phenomenon that was happening during this time period uh, because the the french title of the film is ben de fee which is loosely translated girl game yeah. 
uh, which is not girlhood, yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's no. a more of a focus on the bond of 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 women and young women, and uh, less so on uh, like I mean there is some girlhood moments in it, of course I will say that, but I mean it's more along the lines of bonds and friendships between girls and women kind of thing. <laughs> what the? Yeah. What was that? Sure. I love that. Mason. I, I love that. Sorry, Mason. No, 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 no. I love that you did that. I'm supporting you on that. Co-hosts co- supporting co-hosts right now. Love the sneeze. Um, well, I'm gonna say my history with Celine Siama mm-hmm. and this movie now. Okay, buckle up. Okay. It's actually not that interesting. Uh, I saw Portrait of a Lady on Fire in December of 2019. It was playing at the Arclight Hollywood for a very brief period of time when I was living in L.A. the first time. Uh, I think I saw it with Dustin. Maybe. I can't remember, to be totally honest with you, but I think I maybe saw it with him. Um, Didn't really know anything about it. Didn't know really who Celine Sciamma was. I just knew that it was getting Mm -hmm. mad hype. So I wanted to check it out. Uh, I wasn't as crazy about it as some other folks were, but it's also one of those that is a little stacked against me because I just don't like period pieces, especially from that like era. I just don't really find them interesting usually on the whole. But I, again, I didn't hate the movie, but I just didn't love the movie. And it was also getting mad hype, like I said at the time. So that also fit into it. And I looked back. That was the second, that was the penultimate film I ever saw at the Arclight Hollywood. Aww. The oh, wow. second, it was the second to last one. The last one that I saw was Uncut Gems in the Dome with a Q&A by both the brothers, Sandler and Ronald Bronson. Oh, that's, so, that's a way to go what, out. What a way to go out. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is definitely the way to go out. And I got to shake Benny's hand. Oh, hell yeah. Was like, this is such a good movie. And he said, thank you so much. And then before he even started to say it, I just turned around with my head down and walked back to my group of friends like, fuck. That's crazy. I just met one of the best filmmakers. In the I'm world. never washing this hand um, again. <laughs> I'm never washing this hand again. And then the pandemic happened. I washed that hand a whole hell of a lot. That was literally four months before shit hit the fan, uh, pandemic wise. Um, so, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire was one of the second to last film I ever saw at the Arclight Hollywood. Apparently, the dome's coming back. Crossing my fingers that it's not just a fucking mess and doesn't suck shit. Mm. Um, so that was, that was cool, I guess. <laughs> the <laughs> pandemic happened and whatever. Don't really think about it ever again. Um, I'm trying to think, did anything else happen between then and now? Oh yes. Okay. So here's the other, so here's why this was a very, in, this is why this sort of felt like heaven and I were doing some, some, some like thought, like some <laughs> telepathy to each other when she picked this. One of my new favorite spots to see a movie in Los Angeles is called Braindead Studios, a.k.a. Fairfax Cinema, a.k.a. what was the silent movie theater slash Cinefamily, go to hell Cinefamily. But the space now is fantastic. It's one of my favorite places in L.A. to see a movie. uh, And they were doing in November of of last year. I almost said this year. (laughs) Didn't. I didn't write 2021 (laughs) on my homework. Okay. Didn't do it. (laughs) But uh, in November of last year, they were doing a whole month of coming of age and youth. That was their theme for the month. Nice. And I saw three movies there that month. I saw River's Edge by Tim Hunter. Did not like that movie. Thought that movie was kind of bad. Uh, saw City of God oh, for the first time. Yeah. Great oh, wow. fucking movie. Oh, I, yeah, Amazing. That's a, one. That's a tough 
tough one to watch. Yeah, but great. It is a tough one to watch, but it was pretty amazing experience, all things considered. And I saw Last Picture Show in theaters for the first time, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time. I saw that with Jack Kempsey. And during one of those screenings, I think it was either River's Edge or City of God, they played the trailer for Girlhood oh. because they were going to screen it at Brain Dead in November. Oh, nice. And I said, oh, that looks pretty good. And, I, and then, then, then the movie started, and I never thought about <laughs> it ever again. But I was like, that actually looks pretty good. I was like, oh, that, that I, you know, I've seen the poster for it. I know that it came out the same year as a movie called Boyhood, like Heaven mentioned. <laughs> but I didn't know it was Celine Sciamma, to be totally honest with you. Until I started to get ready for this show, I watched the movie, The Rest is History. Mason, what about you? What's your history with this and Celine? Not quite as involved. My only other Celine Sciamma movie before this point was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I was uh, over the moon on in 2019. That was the last movie I ever saw at the Arclight Chicago because oh, wow. we wow. had an Arclight here. Yeah, and I think that was actually the last movie that I saw in a theater before everything shut down like it would have if i had not gone to see that movie in theaters i think it might have been bad boys for life so thank you celine siyama um i love that movie i re- i rewatched it a couple times during pandemic just because i was feeling uh uh, you know me. I love a brief encounter movie. I love a kind of a, a romance that is very um, quick and intense. And then uh, they split apart and uh, just have this this memory of this thing that they both uh, shared. Uh, so I, I, I quite love Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, Girlhood, though, I kind of remember fr- uh, it being like more or less like talked about on kind of like, I guess, in film Twitter or whatever circles or like kind of indie foreign film sort of circles around 2014. Um, But I mostly thought about it as, Oh, they're really trying to capitalize on (laughs) on boyhood by having, you know, just being, even though they're two completely separate Mm -hmm. movies. Um, The fact that the movie shouldn't even really be called girlhood in the first place. Right, which yeah. I didn't know at the until I saw the this uh yeah, until I saw the the uh the original French title watching it in this movie last night. But this is one that I saw pop up a lot on like either Criterion Channel or, or Canopy or something like that. I might have gotten the D V D from the library without even watching it. Um but that's kind of my history before um before seeing this watching this movie last night. Can I ask a quick? I'm getting. I don't need your permission. I'm gonna do this because I host the show too. Uh, what were your guys's? Mason, you said Portrait of Lady on Fire was your last in theater movie before the pandemic really got underway. Heaven, do you remember the last movie you saw in theaters before the pandemic really got started here? I believe, if I remember correctly, it was actually Birds of Prey. Uh, that was the day after nice. Valentine's Day, nice. and you know what? That was a fun one to go out of. I, that wouldn't have been if I hadn't watched yeah. that one. It probably would have been Little Women. Nice. Yeah, mm. nice. I think Birds of Prey is actually really fun. I watched that on HBO or whatever at some point in t- either 2020 or early 20. I think it was late 2020 or early 2021. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really it, fun. It is. It's. I, I thought, thought they did a great it's, job. It's really, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And again, it, it, it showcases, since we're talking about girlhood, um, it showcases just like how women can be supportive of one another. That, yeah, maybe these girls aren't the biggest fans of one another, but when it came down to it, they're like, let's all fucking get together and beat these ghouls. Let's kick some ass. Yeah. Let's fuck around. Let's, Let's fuck, fuck around, around and it. Yeah, out. and if you want to find out. Beat up Ewan McGregor. <laughs> That's right, dude. That's crazy. 
Last movie, I just confirmed this on uh, letterbox.com. Last movie I saw in theaters was on March 7th, 2020. Walked from my apartment to what is still a theater that has a very special place in my heart, the NoHo Lemley, uh, and watched Mm. the Ben Affleck film, The Way Back, where he plays that basketball coach. Um. Uh, (laughs) Not a terrible movie by any means. Did I know it was going to be my last movie in theaters for a year and change? Absolutely. Right. If, no, if, if we no. knew no that everything was going to shut down, I'm sure we all would have picked our own like special movies that we wanted to go out on with a bang. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But the fact that they weren't special, the <laughs> fact that they were kind of just like, I'll go, see, you know, I'm interested yeah. in this, I'll go see it. There is something kind of nice to that. True. You know, there is something that's yeah. kind of like, oh, then a bunch of bullshit <laughs> happened and like we were shut out for a year and change right. or maybe close to two years, yeah. you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, way the way back starring Ben Affleck. I don't think that's a bad movie by any stretch. It's not like an amazing movie. Anyway, that was the last movie I saw in theaters before. S hit the F. Uh, what do we think about this movie, <laughs> Mason? What do you think about this movie? I um I loved it. It was um it's a movie that I am like thinking back on watching more you know and just anytime that i go back in my memory palace to be like what was it like to watch girlhood i'm like i just liked like i i loved it i i think i don't know if i loved it as much as portrait of a lady on fire but that's just you know that's kind of a, a perfect movie to me but this is just like such a good movie about like um at least to me it's about like um getting to a point in your life, maybe as a young person, uh, in this particular case, this particular movie as a young person where you're just like, I have just myself that I need to rely on right now, you know? Um, and finding your identity and, and trying out these different, these different sort of, um, facets and these trying to first define yourself externally by like who you know and who you're hanging out with and then getting to a point where you're like all I have really is at the end of the day is is myself and I didn't know quite that's what I was getting into when the movie started and I was like really emotional the last couple of moments of this movie um and that it's kind of sneaky like that I think um but those are my initial thoughts right now um heaven why don't you? Why don't you also take? Why don't you take the bat here? Because, um, what What do you think about this movie? I thought it really reminded me of being a teenager again. Um, you know, because I mean, the, the, this girl is a teenager, and and the, the the girl she hangs out with, you know, they're all in high school, and uh, you know, it's it's all like you'd mentioned. It's all about finding your identity. And I was watching an interview with Celine Siama about this film. And, you know, she's saying, like, I mean, we're seeing her. She's kind of almost like a superhero where she's just trying on different outfits and seeing what gives her the most power and what she can work best with. So, you know, you see her um, when she joins, you know, at first she starts off shy, but then she joins this group of girls and then all of a sudden she becomes tougher. And, you know, she's starting to wear different clothing like leather jackets and stuff and and realizing she feels a little bit Mm -hmm. more empowered that way. And then at a certain point in the film, she starts dressing more masculine and she looks more like a boy and she realizes there's something kind of freeing about not looking like a woman, you know, because, I mean, at that age, when you're a teenage girl, you learn fairly young 
that you are sexualized. It doesn't matter what your age is. You know, I still have these mm-hmm. memories of me and my girlfriends walking to like a friend's house or something on a, like a major street. And we would count how many times the cars honked at us. Uh, and you know, mm. these are obviously people who are, you know, probably more than likely not teenagers. Uh, they're actually adult men. Um, you know, so you, 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 you realize very, very young that there is a certain layer of protection, um, or at least there is that false security of a layer of protection that you have if you don't look very feminine at all. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter if like if if some if some creep on the street thinks you are a woman, they're going to treat you like a woman and they're going to sexualize you and be a, a fucking creep. Um so I yeah. I, I really I, I I like that facet of it. Um you know, and I think this is like, you know, d- d- it's directed by a woman. So, you know, she knows exactly how bonds between women are and I think for a lot of male directors who try to uh, try to like uh, uh, illustrate friendships between women, they most of the time they get it pretty wrong. Like I'm gonna uh, R.I.P. Betty White. Um, I I love the Golden Girls, one of my favorite shows of all time. But this was a show that was predominantly made by men, and when you see the mm-hmm. relationship between these four women, it's still kind of male gazy. Because the way they cut each other down, like they bust each other's balls, is like something that more, like most of the time, any friendship I've ever had with a woman has never been that bad. <laughs> like someone would cry or someone would be like, what the fuck is her problem? You know, like, why is she being so mean? Um, but it feels more like that's more of a masculine thing. Uh, that I think that I've seen guys do and with their friendships is that they cut each other down, but it's kind of like a form of weird bond bonding. I don't know. You guys can like verify that, of course. Uh, but that's my observation at the very least. And Mason Mason would just have me sniff every single thing in his room and ask me if it was fresh or not. That's how we that's how we, that's that's how we got to be such good friends. Is yeah. We shared very intimate moments of, of of hygiene together. Do I can I go another week without washing this yes or no? And I would be like, dude, just wash it. Just wash it. Just there's no reason not to to be like, ah, it's good for a few days. Like, maybe if I put <laughs> some like, Febreze bro. on it, it'll it'll last a little bit longer. And I'm like, bro, you I smell the Febreze. You're getting one over on me. You've already Febrezed the shit out of it. Um, I once heard someone say, this is not my words, okay? I don't want anyone in my, I don't want anyone pissing on my leg because I'm about to say this, okay? Once heard someone say, guys bond with each other by being mean to each other but not really meaning it and girls <laughs> compliment each other without really meaning it and that's how they, and that's, and that's how they befriend each other and that's how, that's how they relate. So, I agree with what you're saying about Golden Girls. We actually covered Golden Girls on my other show uh, with Jesse Herb, and uh, yeah, they really they really like taking swings at each other on that fucking. I mean, show. they were brutal, they back. <laughs> brutal, yeah. vicious. How about the Golden Girls? How about some Golden Grams? A nice big bowl of cereal. Okay, all right. <laughs> how about okay? All right, Mason. Maybe we get the uh, <laughs> maybe get the McDonald's shingle out for that one. <laughs> Noah. Yep. Tell us about girlhood. What'd you like? How, tell us about girlhood. Tell us about girlhood. Um, here's what I'll say about girlhood. I wasn't really like I looked at the description for what this movie was, and I actually had I kind of had myself a little adventure yesterday 
and I, I don't I haven't actually told I haven't told you about this Mason yet. Uh, I was wanting just to get out of the fucking house and go somewhere. You know, it was New Year's Day or mm. whatever yesterday. I drove up to Paramount Ranch up in Agora Hills. Uh, Ooh. It was kind of fun. Most of it's burned down, which I didn't know until I got there. Nice. But, you know, saw what I could see, did a little walking on some of the trails. And then I went down the mountain, more or less, down into Malibu and spent a little little time on, uh, on one of the beaches near Point Doom in Malibu. So I had oh, myself nice. a little day. Oh. Yeah, it was fun. Point and Doom's a great beach. Yeah, I think it's... I can't remember if it's called. Is it called Point Doom Beach? Doesn't matter. What doesn't matter. Uh, or Doom Doom Point? I don't know. I went there exactly once. Um, but it's a great little inlet that you can you can just chill at. It's great. So I did that, and then I sort of drove around, wanted to see some things in L.A., and I had to pee so bad that I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm going home." <laughs> I, had pee, I had to pee so bad that I went home. That's how bad I had to pee. So I'm like, I need to be by myself while I let this sh- fucking piss out of my body. Uh, so I was feeling fresh. I was feeling good yesterday. I felt like I got out there and I just wasn't really in the mood to watch this kind of movie. But here's what I will, here's what I will say. In spite of that, I mostly liked this movie. I mostly liked this movie. Yeah. It, there is a, and maybe this is a taste thing, but the thing that's kind of holding me back from like loving this movie it feels a little messy in terms of the structuring and sort of some of the plotting that goes on. That could just be a mm-hmm. taste thing. I'm not as crazy about, like, I don't want to say meandering or aimlessness. Uh, I'm not saying that this movie really is, but it, it sort of strays more in that direction, a little bit more loose in terms of some of the structure stuff. Um, and I was a little, it felt like times I was a little confused about exactly what was happening and sometimes mm-hmm. who certain people were. But other than that, I did enjoy like I did enjoy this movie and enjoy in the most malleable sense of the word where I was not like sitting there watching her older brother choke her out and being like, yes, this is so yes. Sitting up and like going like, yes, like this to the TV. I was like, yeah, this is like enjoyable. This is, you know, this is this is powerful. There's some powerful stuff happening in this movie. I think the phrase that I landed on for this experience, which is a phrase that I've some I just sometimes lump certain movies into this sort of category, is I love where we ended up, but I didn't always love how we got there. And that's sort of where I'm sitting at with this movie. Uh, I think the lead actress in this movie, I have her name right here. It's Car is it Karja Toure? Karija. Yeah. Karija Toure. She's so fucking good. She is. It's unreal in this she's mm-hmm. unbelievable. In this movie, the ability, there are moments in this movie where it's sort of like fun-loving and joyous, and on a dime, it changes to heart-wrenching, and her face is so good. Like, she is such an emotive, amazing actor. She's got great eyes, Just just a wonderful performance in this movie from her. I don't know if the movie works as well without her, to be honest with you. She's so goddamn good. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm glad you pointed out her performance, Noah, because I'm just I, the moment that I think where this movie snapped into place for me was about seventy five percent in, and I, I'm kind of I'm kind of with with you on that that this is a, a looser kind of structure of a movie, very kind of hangouty. You're more like um, I was reading the the Wikipedia here, and Celine Siama said that she wanted to um, she wanted to make a film 
uh, not about black women, but with black women. And I think that there's like an observational quality to this movie. Um, It never like speaks directly to you. It just sort of occurs in front of you. And it's like almost, you just have to just be there with what's ever happening. They're not going to feed you anything extra than you ever need. And there were times where I was a little bit like, who the fuck, who is that? Like, what is this guy? I was a little bit confused about some of the drug stuff that happens a little bit later in the movie. That doesn't like fully mesh for me. But it didn't matter in terms of the like emotional payoff. But yes, Mason, I agree. This is like it. T- it doesn't talk at you. It's just you are watching this yeah. unfold. There's so much like the the. There's not a lot of like close ups. Um, in this movie, like I'm the the sort of visual approach is like kind of all like maybe medium shots. There's a lot of shots of just either the back of Khadijah Ture's like body and like you see her face, her expression in the in the mirror. Um, a lot of profile shots, like a lot of just shots of people like 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 looking at each other in profile. Um, but the point I was going to make earlier was there's one particular moment of her acting, like about seventy five percent way of the way through the movie, where she's with her the sister that she shares a bedroom with, and they're like hanging out and like kind of la- laughing and having a good time, and then you hear the brother come back, and yeah. her expression changes just like On a dime. that, yeah. Yeah. and. On a dime, yeah. And you've already seen, like, th- what her and her brother's relationship is like, where it's very combative and, like, physically um, physically violent in ways. Um, but just, like, the ability for her to, like, still surprise you with a performance choice at the end is, is just absolutely tremendous. Heaven, I want to ask you specifically, and then we can sort of open open the floor mm-hmm. up, but I want to give, give you first dibs at this. What do you think of the intro of this film? The intro... Um... What was that? It was when there. That's a football it's the game, football. right? Yeah. What's up? I was. I was like. Su- I was surprised by it to open the movie, and I'm curious now. This is your second watch. You're the one who brought it to the table. What do you think of that intro in terms of opening the film? I was. I remember the first time I was looking at it, I was like, "Huh," and then I realized, like, "Oh, these are all girls. They're all girls playing yeah. football," and I was like. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> like, like just seeing them, and then because it goes from this game where it's obvious, you even see like, I guess I'm just coming up with this on the fly right now. So if I'm like sound a little scatterbrained, it's just because no, it just came to go me. For but it. like, even she opens the film up by showing bonds between women on a fucking sports team. Like, it's just like, yeah, here are these women. They just played a great game of football, and they're all congratulatory towards one another. It didn't matter who won. They all just had a fucking good time, right? And then shoot to, like, Mm -hmm. after the game, and they're all walking back home, and it's, you know, it's late. Well, probably not, like, late, late at night, but it's dark outside. It's It's dark dark outside. These are, like, 16, 17-year-old girls. And you just, all of a sudden, you just get this eerie, creepy feeling of, like, oh, God, please tell me no one's going to get, like, ambushed attacked you know because that it it, that hit me because i was just like i've been in that situation before where i've had like a really good time and then it's time to go home and i realize i have to walk home by myself and then you just immediately all of that Mm -hmm. is wiped away it's just like okay if we can get home without anyone bothering me this will be a perfect night um Absolutely. You know, because it reminded me of this one time I lived in Northern California. It was uh, in Daly City, which is like on the outskirts of of, uh, San Francisco. 
And I mm. hung out with a friend in the city and I took the BART home and he got off like a couple stops before I did, which meant I was going to have to walk home from the BART station by right. myself at midnight. <laughs> and uh, oh, and oh I God. didn't live like it wasn't a bad neighborhood, but it wasn't the best neighborhood either. And I noticed some guys outside the station. And so I'm just trying to like walk as fast as I can without making myself yeah. feel you know, like, like I'm trying to be as like, like, please just don't notice me. I just want to blend in with the, the scenery and all that like kind Absolutely. of thing. And I think like, yeah. at a certain point, my thoughts got so overwhelming. Uh, the last two minutes of my walk, I just literally ran straight to my house because um, I was just frightened and wow. nothing happened. But, you know, I think about that now. I'm like, maybe that wasn't the, like the best plan, but we didn't have like Ubers back then. I was back in like 2010. So it was just, uh, you know, I'm a poor college kid and, you know, I can't I can't afford a cab right. or anything. So, you know, and that's like a situation that a lot of women are, um, you know, people who look like women uh, kind of fall into is the, the fact that, uh, you know, at any point at any time, you're being solely judged by what you look like. And if you give off any yeah. kind of air that you are weaker, uh, then, you know, you put yourself, you, you know, you, you find yourself at a risky situation. And, uh, you know, seeing that scene with the football game, which is like joyous to this stark, dark scene where you're just like, you don't want the, anything to happen to these girls. But these girls, you can tell by the fear on their face, you know. And I think this is where you mentioned, like, uh, Carija's just emotiveness is just how yeah. immediately she just looks, mm -hmm. like, sullen. Like, she's not sullen, but just stoic. She's Yeah, she's like, it's like yeah. a moment when that other girl splits off and it's just mm -hmm. her. There's a moment of, like, oh, the night is over. Fun is over now. It's game it's now it's game time of get home without being exactly hassled. like that's the new game exactly yeah, exactly you know? and that's what so many women do is it's like at a certain point you have to put on your i guess quote unquote resting bitch face um just to make it home in one piece uh that's just a reality that we have to live with yeah it's a very I was worried that when I was going to watch this movie, it was going to sort of be like, I've seen all this shit mm -hmm. before. That's what I was worried. That's what I was like, mm -hmm. the worry was. It's like, oh, this is not going to feel different at all. And I couldn't have been more wrong. This is a very specific look at a very specific type of Absolutely. feeling and a very specific type of, I guess, societal yeah. thing. Uh, and starting with the football game, I literally thought, am I watching the right <laughs> like, straight up? Like, I was like, this is a crazy way to start this movie. Something that only having seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I never would have expected mm -hmm. from yeah. Celine Siama. And the fuck, they literally do a TikTok to Diamonds by <laughs> Rihanna. They do the TikTok prior that to doing the TikTok. I was like, that's crazy <laughs> that Celine Siama is behind all this. But that they do scene it. Oh my god, that segment where the girls are just dancing and singing along to um uh, uh Rihanna uh shine bright like a diamond in that hotel room is like one of the like just a moment of just like pure joy in the middle of this. Like just it's just so loose. Like I one thing I that I really like about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, just to kind of compare these two these two movies by the same director, is how like kind of like uh 
maybe rigid isn't the right word, but so like structured that movie is, because um, that's kind of the time and the the period that these these two women were living in, and it's about how this sort of this love and this connection that they have blossoms in these in this sort of restrictive time, um, and and unfortunately becomes like, you know, the, the tragedy is that it can't continue this movie, even though it is like observant, um, there is like more of a looseness to it. Um, but I also really liked how much, um, like, yeah, like another facet of the production here that I want to point out is just like how good the costume design was and how good the costume design was in showing, um, the main, uh, Khadija Ture as Mariam slash Vic, um, to like her environment and to the people that she's, she's close with. Um, like when she leaves, um, school after, um, not getting into high school and she comes across that gang for the first time and she's like kind of dressed a little more modestly and these other girls are basically dressed in the same exact, um, uh, yeah, they've got their uh, uniform outfits. on. They've got their girl. They got their uniform, uniform on. on, and then yeah, and then the next time you see, uh, not the next time, but in the next like kind of segment of this movie, she's dressed just like how the the girls were uh, prior, but now the girls have a different sort of uniform that they're in, um, and it's just such great uh, using using all the tools in your in your toolbox as a filmmaker here to just comment on like the world and the sort of the internal life of, of your character here. Um, really, I, I don't have a conclusion, a way to conclude that thought neatly. Um, but what were some of your guys's other like favorite parts of this, of this movie here or anything else that particularly spoke to you heaven or, or, you know, that was like really just like kind of remarkable and striking, I guess. I, Heaven, you wanna you wanna go for this yeah, one first? Yeah, I'll go yeah. first. Um, so the diamonds segment, uh, pitch perfect. I think that really anchors the film completely at that point in that juncture. And I actually got really emotional watching that specific scene because it reminded me again of when I was a teenager and I was hanging out with my girlfriends. And there was like one night we were, I think it was when we took AP US or AP World History. And so we had spent like a majority of the night just doing flashcards and writing essays and stuff. And we were just like at a certain point, we kind of hit the wall where we were just so exhausted and we were just like, we need a break. Like we need a break. So we immediately just started. Someone brought out a camcorder. Uh, we got like, I think we got a little slap happy because we had just been just working for like hours trying to memorize all these facts for an upcoming test. And we just started, we just started dancing, you know, and that was kind of like a thing that we would always do. We would just sometimes just break out into song and dance. And I think one of the songs we used to sing along to all the time was the Salt and Peppa's Push It. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Hell yeah. And that was like, that was something that we did. Like, it it didn't matter if we were in somebody's house. It didn't matter if we were hanging out in the back of a Rite Aid. Like, we, we, yeah. The The back of a Rite Aid? Was that, was that that the HQ for your girl? Okay, okay. back of a Rite Aid? So one of our things that we would do every Friday one of my girlfriends she had like a really strict mother so she'd always have to lie to her uh saying like oh Let's like go. we it's a key club meeting after school so we're gonna we're gonna right. be picking up trash and recycling or whatever and really in reality what would we, what we do is after school we would go to the corner with the the carl's jr we'd have lunch and then we'd go to the nice. other corner where it was the right aid get some ice cream and then we'd hang out in the back of the right aid wow. in the parking lot <laughs> oh, and just man. like 
and then goof off and like again randomly awesome. sing and dance or whatever and like talk so much like it was like pen 15 if you guys are familiar with that show Absolutely. it was just like we were yeah. just dirty gross talk like i mean we it would probably make you guys blush like with like how gross <laughs> we got with these conversations <laughs> I love uh, but, that. Yeah, but th- this lasted for a couple years until one day we went to Rite Aid and her mother and her father and her little sister were there at the Rite Aid. Damn. And here she is no. eating her mint chocolate chip ice cream cone. And she's like, hi, mom. <laughs> and she got she was grounded Brutal. for like a month. We didn't see her for a month. She was on lockdown no. because of that. We were just like, oh, my God, I can't believe we we got caught. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Damn, dude. Fuck. That is brutal. <laughs> um, you know what movie I think this would be a great double feature with? It's a movie I like a little bit more than Girlhood, but I was thinking about it more or less the whole time. Uh, have you guys seen Andrea Arnold's Fish Tank? Oh, I love that no. film. That is a great comparison. This would be a great double that feature. is a great comparison. Yeah, Fish Tank is another one of those uh, Girlhood um teenage girl kind of moments i think that is definitely a would be a great double feature for sure yeah that that if you have not seen fish tank uh which is that her debut feature i, th- I think i want to say it is i believe yeah. so yeah that's a great great movie and this would be a great double feature they've got they're not similar enough where it would feel like you're watching the same shit but they have very similar yes. vibes very rugged very like in your face i think actually if i'm remembering correctly uh, Girlhood's a little more formally like presented than Fish Tank is. Fish Tank's like very like that you're in the weeds with this young yeah. girl, like very much like even more fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. I feel like in some regards, it's in like it's very naturalistic in mm-hmm. that way. Whereas this is actually even more formalistic. Um, and because of the formalistic nature of Girlhood, probably my favorite moments in Girlhood are when those formal elements really sort of like step in front and be like, okay, now I'm going to like shine yeah. for a second. There's a couple shots in particular when she's, there's a shot, it's like a wide shot of the main character riding on the bus and all the seats are a very specific shade of purple and her mm-hmm. jacket is the same shade of purple. I like, fucking wanted to stand up and I was like god damn that's how you do it that's visual storytelling baby she doesn't feel like a person she feels like she's blending into the world around her that moment is fantastic there's a similar moment with color where the wall in her room is the same color as the dress that mm-hmm, she's wearing mm-hmm. yes but she's standing out a little bit more because in terms of identity she's literally looking in a mirror in that scene so it's like okay the the identity the way that she's viewing herself is a little bit more like forming it's coming together and then probably my favorite moment in the whole film and it actually we were talking about him earlier i was talking about him earlier specifically but there's a like there's a little buffalo 66 moment in this where her and is it ismail is that how we're gonna say his name uh, i I wouldn't know the french print is that her boyfriend or that her that's the that's the boy she's the boy yeah yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're I'm going to say that. that yeah, I think there's it? probably a better French okay. pronunciation, but I don't know it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say that. That's what I'm going to say too. The moment where I think I think it's where they kiss in that like stairwell yes. for the first yes. time. Oh my god! And the god. lighting yeah. changes. There's like a lighting yes. gag. It like broke my heart into a million pieces. I was like, that is fucking filmmaking, mm-hmm. ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. That is mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. 
that's my favorite part of this movie because it's not in your face. And when it wants to be in your face, it does it in small ways. It's like a mouse being in your face or something like that, where you know there's a mouse in your face, but it's not huge. It's not gargantuan, yeah. you know, and then it kind of crawls back and sort of lets lets things play out. That's what I loved about this movie the most. And that's kind of where I want to leave things. And I did enjoy this more than Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'll just get that on record right now. Uh, I'd be interested to rewatch it, though, and see if my thoughts about it have changed. Almost, You know, what is definitely two years in the future with a lot of mm-hmm. crazy bullshit that's happened in between um, going on the year three of that being the case. Yeah. It's all I really got. Mason, you got any final thoughts? I Just to kind of maybe take the baton from you on that thought, uh, which um, that scene where she's uh, kissing Ismail and the lights go out. This is such a, um, I, I just really love movies that are um, like, ugh, I'm going to say this in like maybe the dumb, like the dumbest or least elegant way possible, but just people in their relationship, people in their relationship to themselves and where they live and watching that change over time. And just like those kind of small moments of like spontaneity, like the lights going out when they have their first kiss and then coming back on when somebody else comes in. Um, that feel very like kind of true to life, um, uh, and very sort of a real are some of my favorite moments in 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 movies. And this and girlhood is chock full of them. Um, I kind of got just lost in this in this movie and just watching um this character and, and seeing her um grow and, and and change over the course of I don't know maybe a couple months here. Um, but it's I I really 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 admired this this movie here. Um, that's the the last of my thoughts here. Heaven, about uh, you? You know, I think the the fact that the both of you mentioned uh the her attention to detail in this film is just incredible. I think that is a true filmmaker is when you pay attention to the smallest details and it's again it's kind yeah. of like a mouse in your face. You know, it's it does it, it catches you off guard, but at the same time, it's so subtle. Uh, that you you can't help but to just kind of appreciate it for what it is and um, definitely one of my favorite parts of the film Um, but I wanted to ask you guys a question because um, this film is a predominantly black black cast and this film is directed by a white woman Uh, I know there was a little bit of controversy with surrounding this film because you had a white woman directing and writing a story about you know black women and I wanted to know if this, uh, you know, if you had any thoughts or opinions on that in regards to that. Go for it, Mason. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what I was thinking about a lot with, with this was the movie, a movie that we covered in the L.A. days of, of our show. One of the very first movies we covered. And that's uh, David Gordon Green's George oh, Washington. Christ, Tom. Yeah. Um, one of the best. Ever. Yeah. One of the best to ever do it. Um, that's also, I think Noah cited the Barry Jenkins Criterion Closet video where he like pulled that movie off the shelf and was like, I can't believe that a white man mm-hmm. directed yeah. directed mm-hmm. this movie. Um, I mean, I think what the strength of, uh, the strength of George Washington is that it's so much about like a, a place and it feels so much more like uh, kind of dreamy than um, uh, uh, dreamy and sort of impressionistic in a way that that girlhood really doesn't. Um, and just uh, I think the strength of this movie and why it doesn't feel like it's a um, uh, uh, a piece that's like trying to proselytize or say like this is this is look at this horrible situation is that it just takes the facts of 
Mariam's environment at face value and is doesn't try to like scare you. Um, it's just it's it's the it's like I said earlier, like the kind of observational quality of this. Like it's just it's taking kind of a step back from really um, like trying to force a, a particular worldview on this on this 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 person this character this and her her world um um in a way that i think works to that movie's benefit and it's such a delicate um and difficult um line and sort of balance to to go off um so that's just where where i'm at uh as a as a as a white fella talking about a movie about uh a a young black girl in france um, to my eyes and to my, I guess, like kind of sensibility, it's it, it strikes me as like honest and, and true because it doesn't try to, like I said, scare you or try to force your opinion around around this. It's just so straightforward and so um, so so beautiful and kind of hands off. That's what I got to say about it. Yeah, it doesn't bother me either. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I mean, how me. do you feel about it, Heaven? Like, do you feel any uh, kind of way? You know what? I think Celine did a really good job of, I think she knew where her lane was, and I don't think she ever tried to cross it. And I think she's, mm. uh, uh, based on the interviews I've seen and, and how she makes her films, I think she's very self-aware that she is a white woman in filmmaking. And that, you know, the main reason why she wanted an all black cast for this film was because she's like, you know what? I want more representation in what I see. And, you know, if if we're not going to give it to people who can tell these stories, the least I can do is at least tell them myself. And I, I, you know, there are certain points in the film where I'm like, I think maybe having a black French woman would have you know, writing this film or directing this film would have been beneficial to certain scenes. But otherwise, I think, again, this is more of an observational thing. It's not like uh, she's trying to step into these people's shoes. She's just more along the lines, just kind of looking. And that's that's kind of how the film Mm -hmm. feels. So I think she she handles it delicately and beautifully. Um, But, you know, again, I mean, if if you know, film, the film industry would get its shit together, you know, we would have more black women telling these these stories, you know, but I mean, I'm glad to see at least someone not be afraid of telling, you know, of, of, of just telling this kind of story. And I think in a way it also works universally for, you know, you know, beyond race as well, but there are moments where you do kind of want that a little bit of that input from uh, someone who is black and French. Yeah. I think that what, uh, what makes it work is that she's telling a story about coming of yeah. age, you know, more mm-hmm. than anything. That's like what yeah. the story is mm-hmm. about. Uh, and I actually, I respect her big time for casting black women instead of someone yep. who was white, you know, in these roles instead, because you just don't see this mm-hmm. kind of shit often. You just don't. And her, for her to go, I'm going to use, I'm going to use non-white people in this kind of story it just, I think it's, it is a big baller move on that Definitely. end, actually. I actually think it's a great little move on her Definitely. end because for all the reasons you guys are saying, but it is a coming-of-age story more than anything else. Um, she does a great job. So shout-out to Celine Siama for yeah. going there. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't piss me off. If you have a problem with it, get the fuck out of here. What the fuck are you doing? Get the fuck out of here. We do fast facts. All right, let's do some fast facts. <laughs> let's do some fast facts. Girlhood 
or as the French title is, Band de Filets, group Band of girls. Fee. It's a 2014 <laughs> no, 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 no. coming-of-age film written and directed by Celine Sciamma. The plot focuses on Maryam, a teenage girl who lives in a rough neighborhood on the outskirts of Paris. Film discusses and challenges conceptions of race, gender, class, etc. Sciamma's goal was to capture the stories of black teenagers, characters she claims are generally underdeveloped in French films. That's the other yeah. aspect of it, I guess, is that, you know, it's if you're looking at it, I guess, purely as a French film, I'm not a French film expert by any, by any means. Couldn't tell you, you know, another French movie that does what this movie does in that regard. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, actually, so, there is yeah. one. You're only a French's <laughs> mustard expert. Okay, let's, right, okay. Hold on. There's, I, I do, right, I do want to... <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Heaven. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I had I had to get that in there because he's he's trying to rile me up, and I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to not to piss down my own leg recording this fucking podcast, trying to keep it together. So sorry, I'll I'll play it. You go ahead and say what you're gonna say. We'll do five seconds of silence in between, and then I'll play it. So go for it. What are you going to say? I was going to say, have, uh, I was actually going to ask if you guys had seen the film Cuties that just came out, like, I think it was, like, during the pre-vax no, pandemic. No, did not see okay, that. Okay, that's no. another film that deals with um, black characters. It's a coming-of-age film that totally got fucked over by Netflix by advertising it completely wrong and doing the one thing that the director was trying to showcase, like, this is what's wrong with society, and Netflix did it, like, unironically. Um, it, it's that... <laughs> and, and for any of you who are like, what the hell are you talking about, Heaven? Uh, so if you remember the controversy uh, earlier in the pandemic when uh, QAnon was talking about, like, sex trafficking with children and all this, uh, Cuties was at the forefront of this movement um, because Netflix, uh, when they were advertising its release, uh, had these girls that are prepubescent, I would say no older than 11 or 12 years old, um, in a provocative clothing and 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 a provocative dance move kind of thing and uh people were like this is these this is by pedophiles this movie is made by pedophiles it's a pedophile's wet dream right yeah and um so i watched the film and it is definitely i think it's uh, if netflix didn't butcher the advertising i think people would be a little bit more willing to watch this film um, but it does deal with a coming of age kind of young girls discovering sex for the first time and kind of uh, figuring out their own sexuality in a way. And uh, it, 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 I say just watch it. I think it's worth a watch. It, there are uncomfortable moments in this film because the director is trying to point out how we over-sexualize young girls and, and society, which is exactly what Netflix did. And, um, right. you know, how can that, that can pretty much just how it affects how young girls look at themselves when they're growing up. And it also deals with, like, culture clash and all that because I believe her family and the film is from, I want to say Tunisia, but I, it's been a little bit while since I last saw it. But, um, you know, it's, it's her trying to come to terms with either being French or, you know, going back to being Tunisian. Um, I believe that's the country she's from. It's been a while, though. And, uh, you know, that I, I would say it's up there with that. But, again, this is just two films I can name with – you know, in French that uh, have black cast, but it's very underrepresentative for sure. Now we're going to take five seconds of silence so I can play the McDonald's flute. (laughs) (laughs) 
It was screened as part of the director's Fortnite section at the 2014 Cannes Film Festival. It was also screened at the Contemporary World section at the 2014 Toronto International Film Festival, also known as TIFF. Tsuyama's inspiration for the film comes from the different gangs of girls she saw around Paris, especially around the Les Alice. Fuck that. Yeah, that's. Talk about worst pronunciation or something of all time. <laughs> Shopping center and the metro. Her goal was to focus on friendship, sorority, and the special bond that is formed between girls. Siyama is frequently asked why she wrote and directed a film about a gang of young French black girls, seeing that she is white. She stated, quote, I had a strong sense of having lived on the outskirts, even if I am a middle-class white girl. I didn't feel I was making the film about black women, but with black women, as Mason quoted earlier. It is not the same. I'm not saying I'm going to tell you what it is like being black in France today. I just want to give a face to the French youth that I'm looking at. I think she does. So shout out to Celine Sciamma. Uh, Sciamma intentionally cast black actresses because of her concern over the lack of opportunities for black women in France, saying that she, quote, was shocked by how black people were never seen on screen in France. Very, very few, even in TV, particularly that age group and women. There are no black actresses that are famous in France, is her quote. The film also makes very prominent Mm. use of the song Diamonds by Rihanna. Siyama shot the scene before securing the rights to the song and had to appeal to Rihanna's management in post. After seeing the scene, they agreed to grant her rights and usage for a minimal fee. That is actually stupid to do that. (laughs) That is actually stupid to film it without securing the rights. I remember in film school, fucking people would do that not get the rights, then have to like cut the scene out of the movie because the school wouldn't let you screen it. And I'm like, you're a dumbass. <laughs> you, you, you are a dumbass for that. Don't do that. Don't fuck yourself. I'm, it's glad, I'm glad it worked out. It's a miracle it worked out. It's obviously when you're dealing with, you have money on the table and you're you know, not a film student, it is easier to negotiate that. I would never recommend <laughs> someone do it that way, though, in a million right. and a half years. But it is amazing. I, I mean, I will say I will give it to Celine. That's also kind of like a baller move. Um, just thinking like, totally. you know what? This scene is pivotal to this film. And I think I can convince Rihanna's team <laughs> to like let me use it. I have to say that's like that's uh, like putting your whole dick out on the table. Just saying like I'm just gonna fucking do it, and we're just gonna we're just gonna get it done. Yeah, absolutely. I put my whole dick into using <laughs> diamonds by Rihanna in my movie. Um, before attending La Famise, the premier French school, Siama earned her master's degree in French literature at Paris Nanterre University. As a child, she was an avid reader and became interested in film as a teenager. Siama cites her grandmother as inspiration for her love of film, saying that her grandmother had a great interest in old Hollywood. She wrote her first original script for Water Lilies as part of her final evaluation at La Famise. Siama has stated that she never planned on directing and that she only thought about screenwriting or working as a critic because she felt that, quote, directing was too much of a male-only position. Xavier Beauvoir, believe is how you say that, who was the chairman of the evaluation panel and would be considered as her mentor, persuaded her to actually make the film and direct. A year after finishing film school, she began filming in her hometown. Her 2011 film Tomboy was written and shot in a matter of months. She wrote the script in three weeks. Feature film script in three weeks. Completed casting in three weeks. That's six weeks. And shot the film in 20 days. God damn. That's impressive. That is fucking insane. That's That's crazy. (laughs) Uh, 
In interviews, Siyama said that Girlhood would be her last coming-of-age film, and she considered Water Lilies, Tomboy, and Girlhood a trilogy. Siyama was a founding member of the French branch of 5050 by 2020 Movement, a group of French film industry professionals advocating for gender parity in film by the year of 2020. She uses her platform to speak about the restrictions of the male gaze and presents movies that elevate the female gaze. She sees her work, particularly Portrait of a Lady on Fire, as a manifesto of the female gaze. Shyama stated in an interview that, quote, that's why the male gaze is obsessed with representing lesbians, for instance. It's a way to control it. Our stories are powerful because they are dangerous. We are dangerous. So it's a very good strategy to despise us, to undermine us, because giving us less leverage for a very powerful political, because it's giving us less leverage for a very powerful political dynamic. And the last thing I have here, it's just funny that this is even out on the internet in to begin with, and it feels like she wrote this on her own IMDb. She is totally afraid of dogs, <laughs> no matter the size. <laughs> Which... Come on now. Don't be afraid of little dogs. Are you kidding me? That's so I was just silly. about to say queen shit, and then you mentioned the dog fact. I'm like, eh, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Queen Celine. Um, I'm going to give my Mercedes valuable player. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, I'm going to give it to the light and color use in this film. So I got to give Hell these yeah. four people the shout out. Got to give Celine Siama the shout out. Director of photography, Crystal Fournier, a shout out. Color, colorist, we don't really talk about colorists a lot, but they lock in that look, that thing that you're seeing on screen, that yeah. they, they help secure that look, that final look. They do a lot of work. Aline Conan, I believe is how you say it, and Gaffer Muriel Olivier. So those four people I feel like directly responsible for the overall look and feel visually the light and color that you see present in this movie. I could probably also have shouted out the art department as well. Probably should have said the art director's name as well. I will look that up. Mason, what do you got for Mercedes Valuable Player? My Mercedes Valuable Player, uh, Carisha Ture. We talked about her a lot in the earlier discussion. Uh, but since this is, for for the most part, a like a character piece, a character sort of study, kind of lives and dies on her ability to um, communicate uh, uh, and uh, like sort of a, a change performance, things like that. Incredible. What a, a really, really tremendous performance from a, a young actor. I don't know what else she's been up to. Probably a lot of stuff in France, her native France. Um, but she's just incredible in this. And um, she gets my easy, easy, easy Mercedes Valuable player there. Heaven. What about uh, you? This one's going to be easy for me. Diamonds. That was just perfect. Perfect moment in the film. Hell Thomas yeah. Grizzod is the art director for this production designer and art director so he gets thrown in there with mine as well i'm gonna give this film a regular old recommend i'm not quite at the full recommend level with it but it is worth one watch very interesting especially if you've only ever seen portrait of a lady on fire by Celine siama this is a very interesting compare and contrast because there are certain things i think you can compare and contrast but it kind of it kind of does feel like apples and oranges. It is kind of crazy that the same person made a lush period romance and a very gritty coming of age film by the same in like year like five years apart. So shout out to Celine Siama for that one. I'm gonna give it a regular old recommend. Mason, what about you? Regular old recommend for me as well. Um, really made me uh, anxious to see more Celine Siama movies. Um, her Tomboy is on the Criterion Channel currently. She had a film that came out last year, Petit Mama, I believe is how you pronounce it, um, that I don't think made its way to Chicago just yet. Um, but everything I hear about that particular movie suggests that it is 
really beautiful and lovely. So I can't wait to see that. Um, but regular recommendo for me, heaven. Uh, I'm going to say strong recommend. Okay. I think this is definitely a great representation of the bonds between women. Uh, that I think very rarely gets to be shown, although I think there's more of an effort to put that forth now. I mean, now you have like shows like Pen15 and and other filmmakers, you know, Mm. who are trying to put women at the forefront and specifically the bonds between them. But uh, yeah, I'd I'd have to say if you want to see an accurate portrayal of female friendships, this is the film to watch. And with that... The darkness is over. We've made it to the end of the tunnel. We've seen the light. All thanks to our guest, Heaven Ramirez. Heaven, so glad we were able to do an episode together. Mason was there too. (laughs) (laughs) He was was around. (laughs) Uh, He was around. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for giving uh, us a couple hours of your time. This is the part of the show. This is the reason you came on the show. Don't be shy. Plug. Plug away. Anything you want to plug. Floor is yours. Go Phil, for it. thank you so much for inviting me on again, and it was wonderful. I hope I didn't disappoint. It was wonderful hanging out with you guys for the past <laughs> two hours. Uh, so I do host my own podcast. It's called From My Lips to Your Ringing Ears. You can find it wherever you stream podcasts. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, on my personal Twitter, uh, it's Josephson's Ghost. And I also have a photography Instagram account. So if you want to see my dumb pictures, uh, that's just Heaven Ramirez Photography. On Love it. Instagram. And you got a Patreon for your yes. podcast as yes, well, Yes, I right? do have a Patreon. So if you like what I output uh, and you want more content from me, uh, Mason actually was a guest on one of my Patreon-only episodes not too long ago. Uh, so if you want to catch that, $3 gets you in the door, and you can get that at patreon.com slash frommylipspod. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to do way worse plugs than that now. Uh, you can send us an email. Everybody wants to, the number two, get on the list at gmail.com. If it's good, we'll read it on the show. If it fucking sucks, don't mean with me, but it ain't no lie, baby. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Fucking stupid. Don't send bad emails to our inbox. We're not going to read that shit. No. Uh, we're not going to do it. Uh, if you think this show is good, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates about what we're going to cover on the show and fun little, extra little Ooh, morsels, yummy, yummy. I love the funny little things they post on the Twitter and the Instagram. Oh my God, it's so good. That's what you sound like when you follow <laughs> us on Twitter and Instagram. And that's what you need to be doing. So you can follow us on, on at it's on the list pod on Twitter, at it's on underscore the list on Instagram. Follow me on social media. I'm trying to use it less. Deleted the Twitter app from my phone. So we're halfway there. We're living on a prayer. <laughs> Follow me on Letterboxd to at Moa Narger. You can also listen to my other show, My Favorite Podcast. It's on hiatus. You can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts, though. This week, I will highlight episode number 42 with writer, actor, producer Maddie Ogden, where we talked about her favorite times that she saw herself represented as a woman in media. It's a really, really good episode. A lot of big range of ideas, big range of topics, big range of emotions happening. In that episode, Maddie was a great guest, uh, and I will highlight that episode because it seemed fitting based on our content for this show. That is it. Mason, bring us home. 
All right, folks, you can find my other podcast, A Barn, a podcast about The Shield, or the couple times that I was on Heaven's show to talk about, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the topics we covered earlier. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at HotDogDebicki. You can find me on Letterboxd under my name. You can find my store where you can buy a t-shirt, a sticker, or a sweater with the manifesto, all beer should be $1 at the links in the descriptions on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me bundled up and walking on the streets of Chicago and uh, trying to find a job because I need uh, money and work. In any case, folks, thanks for listening this week. Tell someone you love them this week. Do something that you love this week. And we will see you all next week. Thank you. Peace. Bye.
I actually love a couple seasons. A couple seasons.